Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of November 18th, 2021, including Halo Infinite multiplayer is out now, Xbox celebrated 20 years of its existence, Halo Infinite's multiplayer is out now, and a crap load more. guys we have so much news this week to get to i don't know what the hell happened it's just a random mid-november thursday over here and i guess everything decided to happen all right now so not only obviously are we going to talk about the most important thing in the world happening right now which is the surprise shadow drop launch of halo infinite's multiplayer suite but also we got the entirety of last week's uh, seemingly absent Xbox news released just moments after I uploaded last week's episode and then paired with all of this week's larger than usual slew of news to get through. So we've got a shit ton of news this week on top of the fact that we've got massive news to get through. So a little bit different of a format this week. We're going to try to keep it going. Not so um, so much meandering with the comments and some of the smaller segments. We're going to try to really focus on, first of all, Halo Infinite's multiplayer is out. What the fuck are you doing listening to this podcast? If you're not playing Halo Infinite right now, are you even a real X-Bot, I, I must ask? But so obviously we're going to get into all of that, but we're also going to, you know, tr- try to focus more so on the news because there's just so much, one, so much of it, and two, so much of, of, of large notes. So just a little bit of that preface, but we're, there is still, still going to be some familiarity with, with the run of show. So don't be, don't be too off put, but hey, this isn't the, the comforting, sweet, uh, layout of an Xbox on podcast that I've come to know and love. This isn't my this isn't my comfort food. All of a sudden, he's doing things out of order. Why the hell is he telling me what he's eating at the end of the podcast? Why isn't he telling me up front? I can't. I don't give a shit about Halo Infinite's multiplayer until I know what the fuck this man's been eating. Chill out. We'll get there. Some of it is just going to be a little out of order. So let's just start with the big thing. It's what everyone wants to know about. Everyone wants to talk about. Everyone wants to think about. Play. Ditch their responsibilities in life to go and enjoy, which is. Halo Infinite's multiplayer mode. It's hard to talk about this in an isolated context because you got to talk about why it's here. No, you're not wrong. Don't double check your watch, your calendar, or what have you. you probably use Microsoft Outlook because we know you're a good MS fanboy. But no, it's not December 8th. It is actually November 18th, the day you're listening to this, or if you're listening to it the day it came out. And yes, we're here playing Halo Infinite's multiplayer suite. How did this happen? Well, Xbox turned 20 this year, so I want to say a very big happy birthday to Xbox and during or in celebration of the 20th anniversary of Xbox Xbox did a uh, a live stream event and we knew this was coming we knew it was going to be a little special thing they said expect a couple little small surprises uh, but mostly this is just to kind of look back and celebrate 20 years of this brand we all know and love and we'll get into the show a little bit later um, but it was pretty actually pretty fun entertaining fan servicey uh, little event they put on but the big and important thing here is that at the end of it they just dropped Halo Infinite's multiplayer they said hey to celebrate 20 years of Halo and 20 years of Xbox let's just do it now here's the game fucking play it now the campaign is still being held until uh, December 8th so it's not the entire package but the entire multiplayer 
is out now. Everything from Big Team Battle to Arena to all the maps we've played, plus all the maps we haven't played, all the weapons, everything that's supposed to be there day one is here right now. Now, apparently, there's going to be some more things added between now and December 8th, but everything that we at least were expecting to have on day one is here now in terms of multiplayer. So, I, w I will say, <laughs> first of all, earlier last week, rumors started ruminating and, and surfacing I guess on the internet that this was potentially a thing that was going to happen and it was I'll be honest I, this caught me off guard it was one of those things that I immediately started eye rolling scrolling past ignore this who gives a shit about this the second I even saw this happening because I'm like I I'm just so tired of like the trolling and the rumors and the fake shit I'm like I don't I don't have time for this man I'm just I'm literally just trying to make it through a, a long hard day's work so I can so I can get my cheesy gordita crunch and go home and maybe play some Skyrim after I'm done with cleaning dishes or whatever the fuck it is adults are supposed to do. But no, I was completely wrong. I, I chose the wrong path of not paying attention to this rumor, not bringing it up, not adding anything to it. And guess what? Uh, I was totally fucking wrong and in the best way possible because the rumors were entirely correct, obviously. That's why we're all not listening to Xbox on, but rather playing Halo Infinite at this moment. Um, so yeah, glad to say it. It happened this way, but uh, it, it, it here we are. Let's stop talking about the context around it and just talk about the game. So I feel like we got it. We got to indulge for a little bit. So Halo Infinite's out. This is clearly the most important thing to happen to Xbox. Man, I, I mean, the last game Xbox put out that was probably of this level of importance. Oh, I'll say it's it's hard to say, right? Gears 5 was probably the last game Xbox put out, first party game that was supposed to be like, whoa, huge game, Halo, you know, Gears 5, but Gears 5 suffered from the same fate as any Halo, you know, Halo 5 or, or Quantum Break or any game that came out during the Xbox One generation, which is, it doesn't matter if the game is bad, good, great, whatever, it's an Xbox One exclusive, we're supposed to hate Xbox One, therefore, Gears 5 didn't get a lot of attention, you know? IGN wasn't told that they're supposed to be really excited about Xbox during that generation, so no one really gave a shit. Uh, Gears 5 was an excellent game. I'm not here to trash it at all, but let's just be honest. It ended up not being nearly as big a deal as something like Halo Infinite. Well, Halo Infinite is not only the first big Xbox game to come out since probably that point in 2019, but probably the first big Xbox game to come out and actually, like, take the world by storm, get everyone's attention, get people excited and hyped and ready for Xbox and ready for Halo and ready for Xbox or Microsoft's first party output since, I mean, God, man, like what? Like, is it Halo 4? Like Halo 4 obviously had a lot riding on it. People were really hyped about that um, back in the day. But what was the last Xbox exclusive that commanded this level of engagement and excitement? Obviously, in terms of not only this level of hype and excitement and, and, and talk, but also this level of promise for the game, because although Halo 4 sold incredibly well and did incredibly well and garnered a lot of hype, it ended up, you know, long-term being a game that was left a lot of people divided because, you know, not Bungie. Halo Infinite is different in that Halo Infinite is clearly the game that is going to give Halo its renaissance moment. We can already see that's where this, where this game is. Um, regardless of whether or not the campaign is excellent or not, we can tell by the fact that Halo Infinite's multiplayer is free to play, it's accessible to all, and people already know it's very, very good, and it's probably only going to get better from here. It's pretty safe to assume that Halo Infinite's, uh, or Halo Infinite in general, is going to be, it's what we've been talking about for years, right? This is Halo's Breath of the Wild. 
Zelda is a franchise, obviously one of the most popular in gaming, one of the most iconic in gaming. Everyone you meet who's even remotely gen uh, or a millennial, right, talks endlessly about Ocarina of Time and probably has a Zelda tattoo somewhere on their fucking body. I don't know. Zelda then fell off, notably. You know, Wind Waker wasn't as big as Ocarina of Time. Uh, Twilight Princess wasn't as big as Win- uh, Wind Waker. And then uh, Skyward Sword wasn't even as big as um, Twilight Princess. So we kind of saw that decline. You know, like every Zelda game, of course, gets great reviews. Of course, sells very well. Of course, has fans of the franchise very excited. But we see the franchise go from, like, monolith cannot, you know, the world has to stop for this game to, like, oh, yeah, another great entry from this great series. And then Breath of the Wild kind of rebooted the Zelda image and brought it back to, like, no, 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 no. A new Zelda game is not just another great game in the Zelda franchise. It is a game where everyone needs to stop what they're doing, pay attention to us, and then talk profusely about how great this game is, how revolutionary it is for years to come. That's kind of what, you know, like it or hate it, that's what Breath of the Wild was. It reestablished and reasserted uh, Zelda as a dominant force in the games industry. And that's kind of what Halo Infinite is. Now, I don't think Halo Infinite is going to be I should say Breath of the Wild is still probably, you know, bigger game. So I don't mean to say it's exactly a one for one, but the concept is the same where Halo Infinite is definitely going to be the closest thing we've had to a Halo 3 2007 moment. It's the closest thing we've had to that since Halo 3 2007. So that's what I mean to say in terms of just how, just to put into context, what a big deal this game is for Halo, what a big deal this game is for Xbox, and what a big deal this game just is overall, because people are really fucking hyped and excited and high on this game in particular. And as a big Xbox fan, as a big Halo fan, that warms my heart to no end. It's It, it really, as someone who absolutely adores Halo 5 and loved it from the moment it came out to this very day, it was disheartening for many years to just be like, I know Halo 5 is good. I know I know 343 made a really great game here, but this is just kind of where people feel, you know, like where we're at with Halo and its reception these days. It's really exciting to see people, you know, be like, hey, I haven't played Halo since Halo 2, and, and everyone's just really high on this game again. It's very refreshing. It's very exhilarating, and it kind of brings me back in a way. I'm getting a little bit of that energy, a little bit, you know, that it's contagious when everyone's happy about something, when everyone's psyched about something. I'm getting a little bit of that energy that I ha- that I remember feeling back in September 2007, where it was just like, man, is everyone talking about this game? Is everyone excited about this one fucking game? And it almost makes me wish I was like actually like a 15-year-old in high school right now, because I would love to see, you know, I, I miss that energy of like when like Modern Warfare 2 or Halo 3 released, and it was just like every fucking kid in school wouldn't shut up about this one game. I would like to actually, because right now, you know, I'm an adult, I work in an office with a bunch of men that wish they were just fucking grizzly lumberjacks who lived in the forest and were self-sufficient and didn't, you know, off the radar. I work with a bunch of men who are like, video games are for children. I, I fish and hunt and build my own log cabin where the government can't track me. So I don't get to work with people who are like, oh, yeah, I'm excited about a video game. Uh, I, I, so I don't, I don't get to share in person that real life excitement that, you know that um, I imagine a lot of people are probably feeling like if they work in an environment where there are a lot of geeky or techie or gamer type people, or if you're a kid who's in school right now and all the kids are talking about getting home and playing Halo right now, I, I imagine it's a very exciting time. Man, I don't know why I went on that for so long, but it, it's that, that energy and excitement surrounding Halo Infinite is palpable. And I just, I don't know. To me, I feel like that is 
just as exciting and just as important as the actual game itself. It's just that Xbox has a hit again, you know, last generation. And credit to PlayStation, they put out fantastic games last generation, but... You know, during the PS4, Xbox One years, we just saw time after time. It's like Horizon Zero Dawn. Everyone loves it. You know, Uncharted 4. Everyone loves it. Spider-Man. Everyone loves it. And it was great. Like Bloodborne. People still won't shut the fuck up about Bloodborne. Everyone loves it. And, you know, that's great for PlayStation. That was great for people who owned a PlayStation could play those games. But it kind of sucked being on Team Xbox, so to speak, during those years and just being like, yeah, I mean, Sunset Overdrive is, I, I, I know it's a fantastic game. I'm enjoying the hell out of it. But man, it kind of sucks that like no one else seems to be excited about this game too. I would like to share the excitement surrounding this game with others. I would like to be excited about Quantum Break with others because I think this game is great, but no one gives a shit about Xbox right now. So this is just a huge moment in that we have that moment back. Now, let's talk more about the game itself and how it's playing and how it launched. I was expecting immediately for this thing to launch and be like, oh, server overload. Everyone's going to have trouble even getting on the game for the first 24 hours. No, it launched very, very clean, very, very well. You can tell there's a lot of confidence in the way this game would, in the way the handles, the servers would hold up and, 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 and uh, handle the large crowd. And I mean, this game reached on Steam alone. A concurrent player base uh, peaked at 270,000 uh, players in its first 24 hours, which is just absolutely insane. Making it, it was like the it's like the biggest launch for an Xbox first party game on PC ever, and obviously that doesn't even begin to include all the people playing through Xbox One and Series X and S. So then you got so many fucking people playing. I mean, you probably had <laughs> when you add it all together, you probably had I, I don't know just rough number. You probably had like well a little like well over 300,000 people playing Halo Infinite all at once and that's that's fucking exciting that's that's really really impressive it's really awesome and the game it held up great 343 did a great job the servers were fine the game ran fine there were a couple hiccups and things people were experiencing here and there but the story you know now that we're a few days removed from it the story was definitely not oh my god this game is just broken because so many people are trying to jump on right now it was largely like it's up. Let's play some Halo. You know, for like 20 minutes, people were struggling, and then the game just ran. Now, I will say right off the bat, I, I played the game a lot uh, Monday night when it came out. Uh, I played a bunch after work on Tuesday, and then obviously today I'm recording this. It's Wednesday. Um, so far, from the two nights I've extensively played it, my immediate griping complaint is that there are seven arena maps and three big team battle maps for a total of 10 maps in the game. Whatever. It's a little slim on content. They'll add more over time. I know to a lot of people that's like, ooh, that's not great. But to me, I'm like, that's fine. As long as we rotate the maps evenly, I don't give a shit. The problem is it doesn't rotate the maps evenly at all. So I'm I'm desperately hoping, oh, I want to play this new map. I want to play this new map. You know, I want to check out streets really bad. But nope. The game is just like, here is bizarre. I'm like, okay, this is my least favorite map from the beta, but whatever. We're playing Halo Infinite. Can I really complain? All right, next match. Here's bizarre again. I'm like, okay, that kind of fucking sucks, but whatever. You know, just I be, I, I, I guess I just uh, drew a shitty hand the first time. Whatever. Third match. Uh, here is fucking fire. What is it called? Fire Range or Live Fire or whatever. It's like, okay, guys, these are just the beta maps. I played for hours and hours and hours and got new maps maybe two times that first night. Yesterday when I played, it was a little bit better. <laughs> I got new maps like twice in a shorter play time period, but 
I am predominantly getting Recharge. It's, why am I forgetting the names? It's Recharge, right? Recharge and Bizarre. Those are the two maps I'm consistently getting time and time again to the point where I'm like, this is actually fucking infuriating, frustrating. Uh, because the game launched in such a great state otherwise. The servers were running great. All the controls and sensitivity issues I was having during that second test flight, completely ameliorated. Uh, everything feels and controls beautifully. The game is looking great. I, sw I swear this isn't just me. It's, it actually does look a lot prettier now than it did back in July, which means we were probably just playing on an earlier build of the multiplayer. I could be making that up, but I really feel like it looks even more beautiful than it already did. Like, the game is great. It feels great. It's fun to play. It's the same Halo Infinite I was playing the other day, or we were playing the other month, and just saying, wow, I cannot believe how good it is. I can't believe how well they pulled it off. It's here. We don't have to worry about going away in a few days. It is here to stay. Now, they say it's launched in a beta phase. Whatever. It's fucking out. They say that as a little, you know, they know they can get away with saying, well, it's a beta until December 8th. In case anything does happen to go catastrophically wrong, they can say, well, it was in its beta phase. So that's more for them protecting their own skin than it is for us. Um, but, you know, it's for all intents and purposes, this is the full multiplayer suite as it's meant to be on day one. And it's pretty glorious it's just that god that's oh my god the map rotation now the other the other thing there is to say is there's one universally adopted negative aspect to all of this and it is the battle pass and the way the progression works so i have a couple things i want to say about this first of all the battle pass we we know the good thing about the battle pass is it never expires so even if you're like season two begins and you haven't finished grinding out season one you can select season one as the battle pass you still want to work on on unlocking things for and you never have to worry about well I can never unlock this item because that season came and went so that's the really consumer friendly awesome thing about the battle pass in this game and that's kind of where it ends because progression in Halo Infinite is. There is no general XP. There's no like, oh, you get kills, you get XP. Oh, you play a match, you get match XP. No, there is strictly this. There are daily and weekly challenges, and those challenges give you XP that go towards leveling up the battle pass. And the issue with that is twofold. One, it is very, very, very slow to grind these challenges and level up your battle pass. So I played for like three hours. It was barely level two on the battle pass. That's unacceptable. I haven't played too many games with the Battle Pass, mostly outside of this. I've mostly only played the Battle... I've, I've only ever really bought a Battle Pass on Call of Duty and in, 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 in Destiny. And I'll say in Call of Duty, the Battle Pass levels up really fast. And in Destiny, the Battle Pass levels up not as fast as Call of Duty, but still at a very respectable speed as long as you're playing moderately decent on multiplayer you know and you're getting match xp bonus and you're getting you know fucking xp for all your kills and all your special medals and all these things you do and there's so many double xps and ways to just keep grinding that battle pass and leveling up your character but not in halo infinite in halo infinite the only way you can you can play an entire match and get zero xp zero progression towards your battle pass, which is unacceptable entirely. Because, I mean, you should, if you're going to put time into the game, you should get something out of it. Now, I know a lot of people were immediately complaining, well, hey, you're playing a game because you want it to be fun, not because you want to launch it. Shut up. Of course. Of course we're all here because Halo Infinite is a fun game and we want to play Halo Infinite. But don't, don't tell us you're going to have a battle pass, you're going to have a way for players to progress and unlock new things and then make it an absolute pain in the ass 
frustrating hellhole of a situation because it's not that people are saying, oh, Halo Infinite's a bad game. I'm just really addicted to unlocking shit. No, of course not. We all like Halo Infinite. The problem is you know how you know how people play games today. You, you know, three, the, talking to 343, you know the way in which the average consumer expects to jump into a free-to-play multiplayer game is, yes, it's going to be a lot of fun, and along the way, you're constantly going to be progressing and unlocking stuff, and you expect that endorphin hit of, like, level up, and this unlocked, and tier four, and whatever. You expect that thing to keep popping because it releases that endorphin that makes you feel good while you're playing the game and just having fun through the gameplay. But now there's kind of a broken a disconnect, if you will, because you're playing the game, it's fun, but you're not getting the pops, you're not getting the XP, you're not getting the level up, you're not getting the unlocks, and it's kind of frustrating because we've been trained from years of playing Master Chief Collection and Call of Duty and Destiny and games of the like. For many years, fucking, I'm sure Battlefield has the same shit. We've been trained through these games for many, many years now that the two things go hand in hand. So it's not even necessarily that I'm not having fun if I'm not unlocking shit or progressing, but it's that it feels like the experience is kind of not fully complete. It's not fully there if you're not unlocking stuff because it's how we've been trained to play these competitive first-person shooter multiplayer games. And so that's kind of the issue. Is it, it, This was billed as like, it has a battle pass. You'll progress through playing the game. And then you get to it and you're like, eh, but not really, you know, not in a way that anyone likes or that makes sense for anyone. So that absolutely just hands down, you know, is it is it game-breaking? No. Because the multiplayer still looks and feels and runs great. It is an absolute joy to play. But is it something that absolutely needs to be addressed ASAP? Yeah, of course. Especially when you have people buying this fucking battle pass and then finding out it's not even fun to grind. <laughs> you know, it's like, dude, you spent actual money on this thing. Like, it should at least be worth your time to experience leveling up, right? That's the first thing. The second issue with the battle pass is that, and, and you've probably seen people already complain about this as well, why the fuck are all the challenges encouraging you to play the game opposite to what the actual game needs you to do in order to win? And here's what I mean by that. The multiplayer in this game, you know, again, it's pretty slim offering at launch. We don't have our classic playlist of like Just Slayer or Just Oddball or Action Sack or whatever it is. It's just Arena, Quick Play, or Big Team Battle. And so it will pick the map. It will pick the game mode every time. And it's mostly objective-based. It's actually pretty much impossible to get matched in a game of just classic slayer in this game because nine times out of ten what you get is strongholds or oddball or something like that and so you get these objective based modes which it's, it's fine these are really fun ctf tons of ctf in this game and that's fine that's great but your objective but you're trying to also grind your battle pass which is giving you all these um all these challenges and things to do like okay well I could use this weapon and work with these teammates to try and defend this area so this team can't do this. You know, We're trying to play capture flag. We're trying to be strategic. But I'm also trying to grind my battle pass. It says I need to get 10 kills with this gun that really isn't advantageous to this certain cir circumstance in which we're playing the game. And so I'm going to deviate from the actual, the actual objective of the game so I can try to complete this challenge and unlock my my next tier my battle pass because god knows there's no other way to get experience in this battle pass i'm not going to get experience for just getting kills i'm not going to get experience for just playing the match so i gotta even though it doesn't make sense for me to sit back and try to get 15 sniper kills in this match of ctf it makes more sense for me to follow my friends and defend them while they carry the flag back to our base i'm gonna i'm gonna deviate and just work, focus on sniper kills because 
That's the only way to progress in this battle pass. So that's the other problem with it is it's encouraging people. And that's already a problem that's so endemic in games, especially if you're playing with randoms in, in just generic matchmaking, is that you're already trying to make sure you're not getting matched with people who are just deviating from the team, deviating from the objective, and just going Call of Duty and just trying to you know find a corner to camp in, smoke a blunt, listen to Drake on full blast, make sure everyone in the fucking game chat can hear them, and then just farm kills in their one camp spot. This is not something we want to see continue, but this is something that these challenges, in order to progress this battle pass, actually encourages, which is just fuck your team, fuck the objective, you go focus on this. And it's really working against the flow of the game. So another thing absolutely needs to be addressed. The I'm not too hung up on this. Like I was telling my brother the other day, he was getting frustrated trying to grind the battle pass because he's like, oh my God, it's so annoying because I'm like so fixated on it. But I was telling him like, I'm trying not to even think about like, yes, I bought the battle pass. I, I want to be able to work on progressing it, but I'm not even going to sweat it. I'm just going to focus on playing the game for the most part because you know this is one of those things that's going to receive so much universal, unanimous just backlash that they're going to have to get their heads down and immediately just fix this, fix this, fix this, fix this. And so I'm pretty confident that's what's going to happen and that by the time the full game is out on December 8th, this will probably already be, if not fixed, we'll already know what the fix that's on the way is going to be. So I'm not terribly upset about it or worried about it, but it, it, it isn't great at the start here. Now, again, that is in the grand scheme of things, if, at least from my perspective, kind of kind of not that huge of a deal because I think it will be addressed soon. And I think that, you know, that's the fixable thing. That's the thing that you can change real fast, right? It's like, okay, the battle pass progression kind of sucks. Let's fix that. The, the, the worst problem would be if it was like, okay, people inherently hate our gameplay. They think this game feels and looks like shit. That would be a bigger problem because you can't just patch that. You just can't, you can't patch the fundamentals of the game to just not be shit, right? And that's not the case here. The case is the fundamentals, the gameplay, the core mechanics, the flow of the game is phenomenal and people love it and it's addicting, it's fun as hell and it feels like the classic Halo everyone loved but it also feels like an evolution for the modern era. It's perfect. It's everything you could have hoped for and more. So they have the most essential things, the most critical things down pat. Awesome. It's just a couple things that still need tweaking. I'm not too worried about it personally. I'm used to this with multiplayer games, especially these days. You know that everything is going to launch in a state of, here's day one, tell us everything you hate us for, and we'll fix it, and by month number three or five or whatever, it'll be a game you're proud of. So that's, that's just kind of how games work at this point in time, so I, I'm fully expecting it. But guys, I don't know really what more to say, I guess, just to wrap up on this. Halo Infinite. It's out. It's free to play. Everyone's loving it. If you're on PC, you got it. If you're on Xbox, you got it. It's a great fucking game. It's a great fucking day for Xbox. I'm personally just really excited to see people excited about Halo again. People excited about Xbox again. It is a, it, you know, for for people like myself, and I'm sure a lot of you out there listening, it is a little bit of like a, one of those moments. You just get a tear in your eye. You're like... We waited so long for you to stop telling us Xbox has no games and that we're just a bunch of fucking Xbots and that, you know, all this this shit making fun of us, making fun of these games. But, like, finally, finally we have something to really be proud of. Uh, you know, no disrespect to Forza Horizon 5, no disrespect to um, any of the smaller games that have come out recently. I'm talking to you, Battletoads, Psychonauts 2, all these games. Like, there have been great games on Xbox for a long time, but, you know, this is this is the breath of the wild of xbox right now so really exciting shit so 
we'll start out with that that little that little chunk of sexiness now let's jump into kind of a more normal intro for the show where i got a couple little things i want to get out of the way corrections adjustments uh things of that nature to point out before we jump into the proper you know comments news what have you a correction and an apology i need to make guys many months ago probably a year ago we talked about one of our Australian listeners, I apologize, I don't know if it was maybe Sarugi or Jay or whoever it was, but someone did write in uh, telling us about how Nando's is possibly the best fast food uh, spot, you know, or quick service kind of spot in all of Australia. And I remember looking it up and being like, oh, this place looks good. Uh, too bad it's not in the USA. Oh, write it off. I'll never get to experience it. Well, recently I found out Nando's also exists in the UK. And so I thought, huh. So it's in the UK, it's in Australia. Why the fuck don't we have it? Where else is it that we don't have? So I do a little digging, and I don't know how I missed this the first time I I learned about Nando's, but guys, we have Nando's here in the US. There's apparently a location, I think, in Chicago or DC or somewhere. There's, There's like two or three in the country, but we have them. I don't know, maybe they're brand new, maybe they just built them in very, very recent history. But yeah, we have Nando's here. I just I just need to get on a plane and go and go eat at one. But I want to let you guys know I am I am sorry for all the many many months year plus of just lying and deceiving you guys with this notion that Nando's is this exotic Australian delicacy that we'll just never have our hands on. Guys, we have it here in the states. All the more reason to never leave the country. We're safe in Papa Sam's arms, so don't worry about that. Now, with that out of the way, guys. Unfortunately, in terms of corrections, updates, whatever, we got a pretty big one to get through. Uh, I don't. I, I almost dread even having to talk about this. So we've been following the ongoing Activision controversy, um, the misconduct and workplace uh, ethics kind of shenanigans that have been going on, following all the back and forth. And we usually cover it in part of this weekly update thing, kind of just to be like, hey, this is where we're at, this is what's happening. But this week, it's come to a head where we have substantial news to talk about. This is not like one thing that happened or one update or some additional info. This is like some big fucking developments here. So we got to talk about this in a little more detail than usual. Now, again, I don't have too, too much to offer on this in the way of I, I, you know, I'm not a fucking lawyer. I don't understand the law. I don't even understand where babies come from. So how the hell are you getting expect me to interpret the more the legal aspect of what we're seeing here? I can't. But what I can do is talk about how, but uh, how Bobby Kotick is a fucking slimy sleaze bag, and we'll get into that right now. So we'll try to uncover this and keep it as brief as possible. But I'm not even gonna read from a website. I'm just gonna kind of recap a lot of what happened. So new reports coming out this this week uh, suggest or or prove rather that Bobby Kotick was aware of multiple sexual misconduct allegations in the company, including cases where he even withheld information from the board in an effort to kind of like, you know, just just uh, diffuse things and, and let things pass over uh, for his own personal, you know, interests and things like that. So we all know about mostly how this shit's been endemic to Blizzard with like Jalen Brack and all those people like leaving and all the weird claims over the years, the Cosby room, the, the sexist comments and things like that. Well, now we're starting to re- learn a little bit about how this stuff also spills over into more of the Activision proper side with some unfortunate news for, yeah, I'm a Black Ops guy, but today I'm not proud to be a Black Ops guy, including some 
misconduct at Treyarch, and even some at Sledgehammer. Shout out to uh, Call of Duty Vanguard, now available for Xbox Series X for the low, low price of $70 fucking dollars. All right, so Wall Street Journal had a huge, you know, shout out to Wall Street Journal, huge expose, a huge story, a huge tell-all, where they claimed that there were instances of sexual assault and mistreatment at Treyarch and Sledgehammer in, in his, throughout history. Uh, Kodak apparently you know, just like has lied to other, you know, executives, company directors over the years saying he didn't know anything about this shit, but apparently he did because the Wall Street Journal's evidence and sources show that um, there was a, a apparently a, a rape allegation from a former Sledgehammer Games employee um, in like 2016, 2017, around, around like Call of Duty World War II times. And basically the matter was supposedly settled out of court no one ever really found out about it the other thing around the same time in 2017 was that Treyarch co-head Dan Bunting was accused of sexual harassment back in 2017 and the HR department at Activision basically recommended hey you need to fire this guy like we've done the investigation internally we we took all the information into account all the sides all the stories we think you need to fire this man but Bobby Kotick was like, no, I'm not going to fire this guy. I'm actually going to block that suggestion. And he kind of took, more or less, took Dan under his wing and did what needed to be done to kind of protect him, save his name, sweep everything under the rug, and move on in an effort to keep this talent at, at Treyarch, I guess. And so if that weren't enough with the Sledgehammer stuff and the Treyarch stuff, uh, <laughs> this is the best part. And by best part, I mean fuck us all. Uh, Bobby Kotick is also himself now a target for some of this harassment and misconduct um, because there is a <laughs> there is a voicemail. So, so now a female employee has come forward about a voicemail that he left on her phone in 2006 where he threatened to have <laughs> the assistant murdered or killed. And, you know, I we don't know the context of it. it. We don't know if it's like asshole boss being like, just get the problem fucking done or I'll kill you, you know, or if it's just like maybe he just has some weird kink where he wanted to threat. We don't we don't know the proper context surrounding it. But again, it's one of those things where it's like, OK, the, regardless of the context, that's never appropriate in the workplace. But more more to it than that. It is never appropriate for the fucking CEO of the company, even in the most joking manner, to be the guy responsible for saying something like that, regardless of the context. So, you know, correlates one of those like, oh, Mr. Kodak apologized, blah, 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 blah. It was hyperbolic. He didn't mean it like that, whatever. So all of this slew of information, all of this is culminated in a basically a uh, Bobby Kodak's fucked. So it goes further. So now the chair guy, Dan Bunting, steps down. So he's no longer there. And then after that, here's the update from the Washington Post. So a group of shareholders for Activision Blizzard, um, organization called Strategic Organization Center, SOC, has basically called for Bobby Kodak along with uh, two additional directors, um, Brian Kelly and Robert Morgado, to all resign from their roles um, by December 31st, so by the end of the year. And they said if if they don't resign when re-election for those positions within the company come up in June of next year, they will not vote to have them reinstated in their positions. So basically what they're saying is resign or we won't vote you back in. But the other thing to make note of, because a lot of apparently, I, I just saw this, I happened to come across this on, on Twitter, Apparently, this organization within the company, this investment group, has already had issue with Bobby Kodak for a long time. They haven't been happy with him. I don't know 
you know, if you're an investor, I don't know what you haven't been happy about. He brings in lots of money, but for whatever reason, they haven't been super high on him. So this was kind of, uh, it wasn't apparently too surprising that they kind of reacted to this all with that reaction. But this is a sizable portion of investors uh, within Activision who are now calling for Bobby Kotick to step down. So we've got Bobby Kotick now protecting and, and sweeping under the rug specific instances of severe sexual harassment within the company, but despite you know previously saying in weeks prior how they have a zero-tolerance policy, they're, they're so committed to fixing this and changing the culture, and he's going to take the lowest salary possible by law in the state of California until the matter is resolved and all these special things. And here he is kind of at the crux of all this, now being asked, please fucking resign. So we have that development happening. And then on top of all of that, we have an update from Jen O'Neill, who was the newly recently appointed uh, co-head of Blizzard, along with former Xbox executive Mikey Barra. So they were both appointed in like August, September-ish. And then last week we reported that she had stepped down from her position. Well, now she's coming out and talking even more about that, how contractually she's there until the end of the year but she's put in a resignation she's out you know as soon as as soon as january 1st rolls around but she's basically saying how despite you know her she feels that her promotion to that position of co-head of blizzard was kind of used in more of a token uh she, she was tokenized in in that in that move to put her in that position she cites that a lot of it possibly had i actually to be fair, I don't want to put this on her. I don't know if she cited this or if the multiple outlets I read cited this, but that there's the belief that a lot of it had to do with her being uh, a woman who's higher up in the company, but not only that, but because she's also happens to be gay and Asian and that, you know, that kind of like diversity quota helped make up for like, oh yeah, she ticks the boxes, she's high enough, she has the experience, let's put her in that position kind of as a token role and that, that was kind of her, her experience or her perception on it and that she felt that you know, she did not think the company was capable of or that they would or that she she didn't believe that they would um, actually make good on the promises that they're that they're going to change the culture and that they could actually do the right things uh, in a way that would substantially um, fix the issues that are kind of endemic and systemic to Activision's work culture. So she goes ahead and steps down last week, as we already knew. But now she's saying, well, guess what? They didn't even offer me, you know, the woman they put in charge of this company uh, as a way to say, look at us. We were all for workplace equality. They didn't even offer her equal pay. So Mikey Barra, so this is where it gets even more interesting. Mikey Barr even had to bump into, butt into this a little bit and try to share some levity. So he says, well, there was a pay discrepancy at first, but this is why. We both came from different positions within the company when we were moved to the two co-heads of Blizzard. So we, we maintained our pay from our respective jobs that we came from before we were promoted to head of Blizzard. And so at first there was a pay discrepancy, but then they renewed our contracts and we were both offered the same pay for this new position head of Blizzard. And then Jen O'Neill gets back in. She goes, well, not quite. <laughs> That's not quite true, actually, because they they promised that they would pay me what they were paying Mikey Barra. But I, what I actually ended up being offered was less. And then when we then there were apparently multiple attempts to try and negotiate a better contract with equal pay to what Mikey Barra was getting. But those 
were always pended or being taken into consideration but never approved. And then when she decided to step down and she put in a resignation, they then counter-offered by giving her that that uh, offer for the equal pay that she had been requesting and asking about but was never formally offered. And then they used it as a bargaining chip to get her to stay. And then she said, no, fuck this, basically, and decided to step down. So that is the story as we know it from both Jen O'Neill and Mikey Barr's perspectives uh, based on some Slack messages and some quotes from both of them in regards to the story. So we have pretty substantial evidence, at least in this case, that yes, she she was still denied um, the equal pay and the equal treatment and was clearly being used. And, and this is where it's like, okay, we, we can conjecture all we want, but it's not going to do us any good to like guess about the whole like, well, does the her being gay or her being Asian have anything to do with, you know, using her as a pawn to be like, oh, look at us. We're being progressive. We're being more equal and more and more uh, representative in our, in our, with our employment. Is, is that what that was about? You know, we can only conjecture and assume with that, but the whole her not being offered equal pay to what the other person, in the same exact fucking role as her was making, who was a male. Well, that we don't have to conjecture about. We know that is actually the perfect example of this problem that is endemic and hasn't been fixed. So the fact that the fact that this even happened at all is just absolutely mind boggling that this wasn't an absolute priority to just wait on Jen O'Neill hand and foot for PR reasons alone. You would think that they would want to take people like this within the company who have a large voice and a large presence and a large influence and just prop them up to the highest degree in, a, in an attempt to build all the goodwill and positive PR you could possibly build in a time when your brand is taking so much of a beating, so much bad PR because, I mean, just I look at all this shit. I mean, Again, I'll still say the same thing we we said back then. With some of the things that were that are being levied against Activision here, we don't have definitive proof of this, some of these things, and you know, innocent until proven guilty, whatever. But at this point, there is enough that's gone on that well, for, for some of these things we know for a fact have happened, like Jen O'Neill and the pay discrepancy with her and Mike Ibarra. But alternatively, or in addition to that, there is just so many instances now across so many developers, so many studios, so many executives over so many years that for all of this to be fake, for this to be an all or nothing thing where either all of it's true or none of it's true is simply impossible. It is clearly the case that at least something has gone down. You know, at least a handful of these things are at least to some extent true. And even that's enough to be like, okay, like this is something this is something worth fighting for this is something worth being up in arms about and and ultimately where where does this end you know is this on the consumer i had this talk i tried to spark up this conversation a little bit on twitter today because i'm so interested in how kind of the audience has responded to this i i've seen a lot more people than i actually thought i'd see who are like very vehemently let's let's boycott activision and then with that there's also the other side which is very much Guys, boycotting Activision is actually going to do more harm than good because boycotting Activision just means the developers suffer. It means people get laid off because games don't sell and, you know, studios are hurt. The executives are the last people to get hurt in a situation like that. And while that is technically true, you know, you can fire tons and tons of little, quote unquote, little people before you ever have to get, you know, the important executives and, and and the investors in trouble. While that is technically true, at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's the age old, like, listen, the power is in the hands of the workers. If the workers aren't there to get the job done, then the investors will have no money to be made. We we get it. No product to sell, no money to make. The, the thing is, someone has to be held responsible here. And while I appreciate the well, the, the good intentions of the audience, whether that's let's boycott them or no, 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 let's just voice our concern and our and our 
and our um, disdain for for this this company while also supporting the developers who have slaved over these games we love. You know, what, regardless of where you fall in the conversation, what you think the right approach is, the buck has to stop with someone, and it's not the consumer. It is the CEO. This is Bobby Kotick's company. This is his business. He is responsible for the culture. He's in, he is responsible for the way these massively uh, high power, high authority, highly influential people conduct themselves as part of the brand. So if there is a pattern of these kinds of things happening over many, many years, in many instances across many developers, the buck doesn't stop with the... This isn't a flip it on the consumer. This isn't a Joe Smith who just wants to buy Call of Duty so he can light up uh, his weed while he also lights up noobs on shipment 24-7 playlists. This is not his job, his responsibility to educate himself on this and then boycott Activision in an attempt to get them to, to do better and, and be better to their employees and do right by the, the women and, and the other groups of people who are marginalized within this company, you know, whatever. Do, doing better to those people. It's not their responsibility. This is your CEO's problem. This is Bobby Kotick. So the solution is quite simple here. Get rid of Bobby Kotick. I'm so, I'm sorry. A lot of this stuff, there's a lot more nuance to it, and there are many other deeper discussions to have, and I would like for this to be a catalyst for some broader discussions and for some more and, and for some more nuance to the conversation of what role does the consumer play in trying to impact and impart change on on situations like this, on companies like this. But at the end of the day, the very first thing that needs to happen is Bobby Kodak needs to go and we need to bring someone else in. Immediately. First things first. Because he's known about this shit. Because he's been part of this shit. And even if all that weren't true, all of this has happened under his watch. And even if Bobby Kodak has clean hands, right? He never told that assistant that he was going to murder her or whatever. He never knew about uh, the rape allegation at Sledgehammer or the sexual misconduct allegation at, at or Treyarch or the many, many allegations over at, at Blizzard. Let's say somehow Bobby Kodak just knows nothing of any of these situations. Let's just give him the absolute benefit of the doubt. The fact that all of these things were happening in his company under his watch over so many years means it doesn't fucking matter what role he did or didn't have in it. It's that he was responsible for the company while these things were happening and they happened. And that is what that is what management is all about. That is what leadership is all about. It's about taking responsibility for your fucking team. Because the higher up you get in a company, it's not about your contribution to each individual little outlet or brand of the business or you know whatever. Because you're not the one in the trenches doing the work. You are the one overseeing the teams, overseeing the leaders. So go to the top of the fucking pyramid. If your overall leader is failing the leaders below him, which are which are failing the leaders below them, which are the ones enacting harm onto these fucking employees, you know, trace the cord back to the fucking source. It's, it's Bobby, little big, big old Bobby, not, not Hank Hill's Bobby, of course, but you know, the, the, the Activision Bobby. So I don't know. This is absolutely crazy that this is still going on. It's still developing. I, I'm actually quite proud of people for holding you know Activision's feet to the fire on this because I truly thought this was something that was going to kind of just be forgotten you know 
weeks after it all happened, but here we are still developing the story. It's still going. So shout out to the many, the many journalists and in in media people out there who are trying to make this story, trying to make this information accessible to the audience, to the world, trying to get these stories out there, trying to get this information out there. Um, so that, you know, this stuff doesn't go undisciplined because someone needs to take responsibility for this bullshit. And I'll tell you this much sure as hell ain't going to be me. I, I don't I don't work at Activision. Don't look at me. Okay. With all that out of the way, <laughs> let's I, I need to offer a little bit of levity here uh, because that's a very for for an, for an episode that's all about hey Halo's out you know Xbox is twenty yay happy birthday Xbox that is some uh, that is some bleak shit so a little a little bit of levity here I just want to say some good news a little quick announcement Microsoft has officially uh, launched X Cloud Gaming. For consoles as of this week so now you can stream games not only from your android device or your pc or whatever you can now stream from your xbox console uh it is available in 25 regions right now brazil is soon to follow um but yeah so if you want to let's say uh, try out marvel's avengers but you don't want to sit there while your hard drive downloads 60 gigabytes of marvel's avengers or however big that file size is well guess what just stream it for 30 minutes, play it, see if you like it. If you like it, download it. If you don't like it, fuck it. You know, you didn't, at least you didn't waste two hours downloading it. Your buddies want to play Dead by Daylight one night, and you're like, I'm not a fucking loser. I'm not going to download Day- Dead by Daylight, but I really miss my friends who I haven't seen since I was uh, in, in Euro. Cool. Stream it for a night, and then never play it again. You didn't have to download it. Awesome. This is a really awesome feature, and it's finally available to people, and I think... This is just another thing that adds so much value to GameFab. In fact, I'm more likely to use xCloud in this scenario than anything else. Then, you know, I'm not super likely to walk around with a controller in my fucking pocket, ready to pull out my phone and play xCloud in the middle of, uh, of, of Walmart. No, not likely to do that. But I am likely to stream something to my Xbox and play for a little while and be like, is this something I really want to get into? Let me try it out. That's awesome. So that is some really cool news. And then lastly, one little thing I want to get into before we jump into comments and then regular news run and everything is a little update about the Game Awards. It's happening on December 9th this year, which I believe is a Thursday. It's always a Thursday, I think. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a Thursday, Thursday, December 9th. And this week we got the announcement of all the nominees. So I just want to quickly go over um, the, the games that were nominated for Game of the Year proper, the big award, Game of the Year. We have Deathloop. It Takes Two, Metroid Dread, Psychonauts 2, Ratchet and & Clank, and Resident Evil Village. So, I just want to say, we've talked about this show, on, we've talked about the Game Awards on this podcast many times, and we'll talk about it in detail when it happens in a few weeks, but the Game Awards is kind of a tale of two stories, right? It's like super exciting because it's kind of E3 Part 2. There's so many fun and exciting announcements. There's so much cool shit to look forward to. It's awesome. It's a great time. It's a celebration of the industry. Who doesn't love the Game Awards? But the other thing about the Game Awards is it's super fucking cringy because it is kind of like the Oscars in that it is just a little uh, jerk-off fest for people in the industry, for the people from the big media outlets and the, the big YouTube influencers and, of course, people from the big publishers and game developers to just kind of get together in a room for a night and be like, aren't we so fucking great? Aren't, you know, oh, let's, vo- let's vote Metroid Dread as game of the fucking year for some goddamn reason. No offense to Metroid Dread. I haven't finished playing it yet. You're a good game. I enjoy it quite a bit. You're sure as hell not even close to game of the year material, but you're a pretty damn good game. Uh, like, I, I just got to ask. 
what the fuck is happening? And, and I'm a little kind of I feel like my thunder was stolen a little bit. Not, you know, not stolen, but taken a little bit because uh, I was looking forward to ranting a little bit about this. And then this morning, uh, Jez Corden, our, our, our guy at Windows Central, was always giving us the good news. It published an op ed about kind of this very same thing that I wanted to get into, although I think he was a lot more nuanced and eloquent in, in what he had to say. And it's basically his his standpoint was uh, more so in defense of like um, Forza Horizon uh, Five, and he he makes a really good point. He says the way these games are chosen is, for like the, the nominees is it is ninety percent selected by a panel of elites, people who work in games media or big YouTubers and things like that. They 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 form a game awards committee. And 90% of the weight of what gets nominated, what wins, and all that is determined by these people. This 90% of people in the know, people in the industry, people of importance, if you will. The other 10% is voted on by the audience. So, if you want to know why uh, fucking, what was that game? (laughs) Overwatch, one game of the year, that one year. uh, 10% of that was audience vote. The the other 90% was a bunch of fucking people at... GameSpot and, and uh, I don't know, Angry Joe or some shit like that, I guess, being in on it. I don't know who's fucking part of it and who isn't. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm sure there's some really great people with some really great insight involved in this. I don't mean to trash everyone who has a, a job in games media. There are tons and tons of great people out there. Jez's point was basically like, hey, you look at a game like Forza Horizon 5. It has the highest score both on open critic and uh, user reviews. In the entire year, no game has a higher score through both review uh, metrics than Forza Horizon 5. In addition to that, uh, Forza Horizon 5 is an incredibly interesting game in that it is extremely well polished, extremely fun, but it represents a side of, you know, the game awards that usually goes underrepresented. And this is the same complaint I have about the Oscars, and that's why I'm so glad he brought it up, is because this is absolutely endemic of the game awards. It's absolutely endemic of the Oscars. It's absolutely just endemic with like, critic highbrow you know quote-unquote highbrow kind of uh critic culture and um like the art community right it's like you look at the game of year game awards every year and what is the reoccurring trend well everything that gets nominated nine times out of ten is some story-driven third-person action narrative cinematic experience type game and jez points that out in his article and that's kind of exactly what i wanted to get into the meat of and it's just like well why can't a game like forza horizon be voted clearly an overwhelming majority of people agreed it is one of the very best games of the year, quite literally, from a quality standpoint, from a gameplay standpoint, you know. But you don't see that kind of critical reception and fan adoration and audience reception represented in these kinds of award ceremonies. Rather, you see Deathloop, which sold like shit. Um, people, like, audiences were pretty split on it, but go to GameSpot go to IGN, go to the big guys, and they were like, 10 out of 10, Deathloop is simply a masterpiece. Most people are like, yeah, the game's fine. It's it's whatever, it's fine. It's, it's good. Some people hate it. Some people liked it a lot. Most people are like, it's, it's whatever. Okay. It Takes Two, I'll give it that. Everyone who plays It Takes Two kind of unanimously agrees it's phenomenal. I haven't played it. I can't speak to it. Metroid Dread, Dude, that is Nintendo bump if I ever fucking saw it. Are you kidding me? Again, I haven't beaten Metroid Dread. I've only played like half of it. It's a good game. I like it quite a bit. I was very excited for this game to come out. But oh my god, it's just... It's... I don't know. It's not even the best 2D Metroid. It's not even that fucking good. I mean, I... If you want to make the argument that it's just a really slow year and there weren't any like massive hitters, 
and that's why Metroid Dread's on here, and we need something to represent Nintendo, that I'm like, okay, maybe. Maybe. But on its own merit, Metroid Dread's not Game of the Year material. It's very good. It's it's thumbs up. I, I recommend it, you know, but it's not Game of the Year material at all. Psychonauts 2, uh, I'm of two minds of this, because it's one of my favorite games of the year. I think it does deserve to be in here. I think... In my, in my opinion, this this makes the, the Game of the Year nomination list. Like if I had to do my own list, however, it does fall in the category of just what Game of the Year con you know uh, bait, if you will, tends to be. It's this third person narrative action driven game about you know story and about theme, and it doesn't mean that there's not a place for those games. Those games absolutely deserve to be represented in these awards, but it seems like that's generally all we ever get. Ratchet and Clank, eh, I don't know, it's. I, I guess, but it, it's just like, you, you see what I'm saying? It's like, there is no sports represented. There is no racing represented. There is no arcade represented. There is no rhythm game represented. There is no, insert anything that's not an action game, a, a conventional, you know, first-person shooter or third-person story-driven action game or whatever. If it's not that conventional kind of game, it doesn't get represented. So a game like Forza Horizon 5, highest reviews of the year, people objectively love it you know, from a reception standpoint, but it can only get nominated for like sound design and visuals, right? Because it's a beautiful game. It looks and sounds pretty, but why can't it win game of the year? I don't know. Critics don't seem to think so. And I just, I don't know, man. This is why my my attitude game with, with game awards is always like, don't get fixated on what gets nominated and what doesn't. Don't get fixated on the actual awards themselves because that's all stupid. Who gives a shit? It's just what a bunch of fucking critics thought about games this year. We disagree with them. You know, people spend all fucking year disagreeing with every review that Kotaku point, puts out, that Polygon puts out, that IGN puts out, all fucking year. So don't don't choose, you know, the Game Awards to start getting too up in arms in it because it's just those people, again, reestablishing their, their already established beliefs. You know, it's like, who, who cares? We're here because one-time Xbox announce a new console we're here because the outer worlds one time got announced here we're here because hellblade one time got announced here you know that's why we're at the game awards is we want to see the games that are coming try not to fixate too much on this stuff but it is of note and it is something that does irk me to a degree and i think jez Corin did a really nice job kind of making a point about this it's it's you know the games that gamers actually really enjoyed you know in a in a measurable way aren't represented, but the games that critics really enjoyed or, or found to be highbrow or artsy or thought-provoking, yeah, those games are here in full swing. And I think the best the best comparison is Forza Horizon 5 isn't here, and Deathloop is. Deathloop, a game that has commercially bombed, the reception from audiences seems to be like, it's fine, it's whatever, it's good. And then the reception from game critics is Masterpiece, 10 out of 10, love it, so... Funny, funny, funny stuff. Guys, that's it for all of our comments. and Or sorry, that's it for all of our initial corrections, adjustments, updates, things like that. I told you, it's a weird fucking week. We got tons to get through. We're already an hour in. We're just now getting into the comments. But don't worry, the comments aren't too long today because, like I said, we got a lot to get to. And also, we just didn't have too many comments, so it kind of worked out that way. But remember, if you ever want to comment, you head on over to youtube.com slash c slash Xbox on podcast. You go over to the latest episode of the show, leave a comment there. You can say anything you want. Say something really nice. Like, Jesse, Halo is dumb. Game Awards are awesome. I think uh, Deathloop is the best game ever made because it is so amazing to play when you are a critic and you live in the city of San Francisco and you normalize paying $17 for uh, fucking 
I don't know, Chipotle or whatever. Um, however, you could also say something nice to me. You could say, Jesse, I agree. It's so exciting that Halo is Infinite is here. I'm not too worried about the little things because I know those things will be fixed in good time. But, oh, man, I'm just so excited to be here. Team Xbox, Halo Infinite, let's go. And I'll be like, oh, so much positive energy. I, I love having you here, buddy. But let's jump into Chicago Gamer 420 who says, once again, the outro song hits so hard and I can't go favorite it on Spotify. All right, Chicago Gamer, as I've said before, these songs are coming, you know, if it's the if it's the cool pop-punk, post-hardcore, emo, whatever shit, that's all coming from Count Scotula's old band, The Corbel. This past week, I played the song titled Complicated. Um, I don't know if it's on Spotify. I don't know if you can look it up anywhere. If Count, Spotula, if Count Scotula wants to come out and share this with us, then by all means, feel free to do so. But I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. There's no, there's no direction to point you in, but do give Count Scotula a round of applause because his, his old music is fucking awesome. I, I sometimes I'm putting the show together and I just hear the song I inject in the end of it. I'm like, fuck, dude, like that's a, that's a fucking good song, it, really good, catchy shit. I get, I get stuck in my head all the time too. Anyway, Strictly Gaming writes in and says, "You made me laugh. Great answer. Didn't expect such a brutal response. Hats off to you, sir, and I'll make sure for now on I'm up to date on all your podcasts." Let's see to it. I won't even give any more context on that. If you don't remember last week's episode, don't worry about it. Strictly Gaming, you're on thin ice. Headhunting Halo wrote in says, Jesse, you are excited. Are you excited? Maybe multiplayer on Monday. Well, we already know how that turned out. I'm not going to lie. Forza Horizon 5 was the best racing game I've ever played, and it was always Ridge Racer, but wow, I'm shocked with 5. What's your favorite flavor of Doritos? I'm guessing that your favorite. it's your favorite ship since it's a man's snack. By the way, gingerbread snap Mountain Dew, I wanted to puke. Why didn't they do candy cane flavor instead? Why do they do the nastiest things for the holidays? No, no more Thursday streams, man. Man, you make me sad. So no more Thursday videos on YouTube. I'm such a fan of your show, though. I wish you the best, my man. Hey, hey, hey. No, 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 no. Let's, let's, let's clear the air real quick. The podcast is going untouched. The podcast will still go on YouTube every Thursday. It'll still be in Spotify, all, this, all the apps, whatever. Podcast isn't changing one bit. The Twitch streams are going away on Thursdays. So yeah, this week I will not be streaming on Twitch. I'm going to buckle down and start working hard on some YouTube videos for my other channel so I can make YouTube content more frequently. So I'm still streaming on Mondays. Podcast is still there every fucking Thursday on podcast services and YouTube. Don't you worry your sweet little head about that. It's just the Thursday Twitch streams that have gone away. So don't worry. And we'll still do sporadic streams here and there on random days whenever it's appropriate. But um, I, I just need more time in my personal schedule to accommodate editing and, and making videos for my um my youtube page but yeah to bang out your questions real quick favorite chip brand yes of course it's doritos doritos are the best there are many great chips out there but doritos are superior i love all the flavors i love nacho cheese i love cool ranch i love the sweet chili i love the spicy I'm trying to think what are some other really great doritos flavors they're all pretty good i really love doritos who doesn't the new 3d doritos are fucking fire as the kids might say they are not literally fire but they are so tasty um, I don't know if fire is supposed to be tasty or not. Uh, I did try the ginger snap Mountain Dew. We'll get to that in the, what I've been eating. And then candy cane flavor, blah, blah, blah. I want We'll get to that later. Next up, Moose writes in and says, I didn't come to continue our talk on consolidation because I'm too busy to type that much. And, I'm, and by busy, I mean lazy. Also, you said I was dumb and you hurt my feelings. Just kidding. I don't care. Well, Moose, instead, I wanted to tell you I had zero interest in Sonic until today, and now I want to play an open-world Sonic game. I like open worlds. I don't care how many I play. I like to run around and check tasks off a map. They keep making them because people like me keep playing them. Sorry, I would definitely try Sonic as an open-world game. 
Moose, you don't have to be sorry at all. You like what you like, and that's all that matters. I'm, I'm not here to judge you. I like to pick fun at the oversaturation of open-world games on the market because I think it's redundant, and it doesn't personally appeal to my senses. Who gives a shit what I, what I think? Clearly, I'm in the minority there because people are super hyped on Far Cry and everything's open-world, and even fucking Halo is now quasi-open-world, so don't be sorry. Just enjoy what you like. But yes, you should absolutely play Sonic Unleashed. Now, I told you if you played Sonic Unleashed, I would... I said, if you play Sonic Unleashed, I will send you a $25 gift card to any gas station of your choosing. Now, I lied. I'm not going to do that. But you should still play Sonic Unleashed because, as we'll get into in the news, it now runs at 60 FPS on Xbox Series X, which is fucking beautiful. Now, Dead Captain James writes, <laughs> this is my favorite one. Maybe, maybe we won't get into this too much because he and I kind of talked about this more and more on the stream on Monday. But Dead Captain James writes and says, Jesse, blink five times if you're being held hostage by Activision. People hate on Call of Duty because it's been 12 years of COD every single year. For a Horizon game, it's only the fifth version. They space them out by three years. If it came, if they came out with a Horizon 6 next year, people would definitely start complaining. Now, this is, of course, in relation to my comment last week about the hypocrisy of people hating on Call of Duty Vanguard because it's Call of Duty and they're tired of it every year, but also praising Forza Horizon 5 like it's the best game of all time when in reality it's just more Forza Horizon it's not like a huge evolution of the franchise and and I should say I think Call of Duty Vanguard is substantially better than a lot of people are giving it credit for and I think Forza Horizon 5 is very very good and deserves the praise it's getting my complaint isn't that one of the games is good and one of them is bad not at all my my, my the crux of what I was saying last week was just I wish there was more of a audience understanding and ability to separate the product from from kind of the exhaustive release cycle like sledgehammer put their heart and soul into making call of duty vanguard you know they can't you know it's they're not the ones at the top deciding that call of duty will come out every fucking year rain or shine you know without without a single hiccup going on you know every year there will be a call of duty and you will buy it and you will like it that's not sledgehammer's fault that's not sherrick's fault that's not infinity ward's fault and i feel slimy defending these people right now because we just talked about <laughs> all this activision shit but you know the majority of these people are good people good hardworking developers who really want to create awesome experiences for people to play and enjoy and the point i was trying to make is i, I basically what i'm trying to get to is i just want for there to be a world where we can hold Activision accountable for creating, you know, I went back, let me let me just read what I wrote. I wasn't going to read it all, but here, basically. I said, you're absolutely right, and I tried taking what you said into consideration, although I may not have done a great job conveying it, blah, blah, blah. I get that people are tired of Call of Duty releasing every year, the, the release cycle, but the actual end product is always of a high quality. A new Call of Duty each year isn't so different, content or polish-wise, from what we get each Forza Horizon game. Yet Forza is suddenly considered a must-play when literally just more Forza, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Now, Dead Captain James continues by saying, The difference is that it has completely saturated the entire market in demographic, whereas Forza Horizon has been limited to a relatively small portion of the gaming market. Now that Xbox is seeing more positive light, it's finally getting the recognition it deserves from the start. Dead Captain James makes a really important point here, and I think this is kind of the part that my argument overlooks a little bit, which is, yes, people are upset, not because they hate Call of Duty the game, but because it's exhausting and tiring and redundant to see every November, like clockwork, there's Call of Duty, and yes, people would feel the same way if it was like every October or November, without fail, 
there's Forza Horizon, people will get tired of it. Like FIFA or like Madden. Although you don't see the kind of complaining that much with FIFA or Madden. So I'm not entirely sure that's how that would work. But I, I, the point is well taken because it, it is it is it is true. Part of what makes Forza Horizon fresh, despite being, you know, just an update of the last game usually when it comes out, is that Forza Horizon comes out, usually it's every two years, but yes, this past, this most recent one was a three-year dev cycle. So yeah, usually there's a gap, there's a, there's a time where you don't have a new one, so you create a sense of longing and nostalgia and desire for more because you have a time to miss it. There's never a time where you miss Call of Duty because it never stops fucking coming. It's always happening. And even when there's not a new game out every 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 10 months, at least in the months in between, you're still getting new season updates and new battle passes and new content, new events. And it's just a barrage of never-ending Call of Duty content. So I get it. I get that is the crux. That is what people are truly mad about. But I just wish the conversation were structured more in a way where people, and this is how I worded it, the actual game itself shouldn't be hated or dinged because of the corporate greed surrounding the game's existence. Activision doesn't need or deserve my defending, I know, but Sledgehammer still made a good product with Vanguard. It can be both true that Activision is plaguing the market with a repetitive, safe, and annualized product that creatively bankrupts the industry, while the developer behind these games are also doing a surprisingly great job of making sure that the game, that this annualized repeat product is actually actually a very respectable high quality so that that is the crux of what i'm trying and, and i think dead captain james gets what i'm saying and, and i get what he's saying we uh, i wish you guys could have been there on monday when we streamed on twitch.tv slash lightning stream because we talked about this in more in depth but yeah i i think both both of our points i think are pretty well taken and and, and speak a lot to what's going on here the thing is i just i've, I've already said it so i'll, I'll kind of let it go i just um like, Call of Duty Vanguard, is it game of the year? No, not even close, not even in the running. But here's the thing with Call of Duty Vanguard. I play. We'll get into the, in the what I've been playing. Um, the, the multiplayer is fun. Is it the best Call of Duty of all time? Not even close. Is it better than last year's Call of Duty? No. Is it one of the worst Call of Duties? No. It To me, it's kind of like middle of the road. I think it's a pretty solid game. I'm having fun just grinding camos and playing the game. Um, it's not Halo Infinite, you know? It's not Forza Horizon 5. It's not... You know, any other game I played this year that I really, really loved, it's not Shadow Warrior or anything like that, but it's it's a good game. It's a fun time, and I get it is reliable, addictive, multiplayer, social fun, and I think there there's a place for that, you know, and it shouldn't just be written off because the, the corporation that publishes that franchise is greedy and wants more and more of it all the time, you know? It's like if the developers are still putting out a quality product, you know, you can't say the new Call of Duty is literally shit when we live in a world where like, no, 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 a game like Superman 64 was shit because the game didn't work. It was broken. It was stupid. There was nothing to do in it. It was just a, a, a failed shell of a concept. That is a game that is shit. Call of Duty is tired. It's uninspired. It's redundant. It's repetitive. It's overstated. It's welcome. But it's not bad when you pick up the controller and play it. It is polished. It's put together. The gameplay mechanics are solid. It is addictive fun. The endorphins pop off in your brain when you get a kill streak. It is a fun, reliable experience. It's not going to be groundbreaking. It's not going to be provocative or inspiring in any way, shape, or form. But you're going to have a good time playing it. And I think that's still worth something. Even if this is the 17th year in a row. And no, I'm not exaggerating. This is... Is it... Well, no, no. They haven't missed a year of Call of Duty since 2004. So 2014, 2021. Yeah, this is the 17th year in a row where we've gotten Call of Duty, where it hasn't skipped a year. So yeah, I, I get the exhaustion. 
But my point was, let's let's separate the fact that Activision sucks and they're creatively bankrupt from the fact that Sledgehammer still put out a fun game, fun polished game. My brother wrote in and says, "I'm really tired of far." Also, shout out to Dead Captain James because I I don't, I don't know why I feel like I was kind of being a bully about that, and I I don't want you to take that that impression at all. Dead Captain James, you are still again everyone else plug your ears. Dead Captain James, you are still my favorite child because. You're the OG, and I just I just like you. I feel like if I knew you in real life, maybe we'd uh, maybe we'd go out for a non-alcoholic soft drink together one day. All right, my brother wrote in and says I'm really tired of Far Cry being called a formula at this point. Far Cry three and through Primal had a formula, but five and six seem to have a different formula. It's like Splitgate to Halo. Sure, there are similarities, but there aren't. They are not the same thing. They don't scratch the same itch. They just don't play the same way. Kindly, I disagree. And I don't even want to get into it. I just, I'm tired of Far Cry. I'm tired of Far Cry the way you guys are tired of hearing me talk about Call of Duty. <laughs> uh, but you also said Forza Horizon 5 is the first Forza that came out since it was okay to like Xbox again. That's why it's popular. Yeah, you're not wrong. A lot a lot of this Halo Infinite, it, it all plays together. It's a chicken and egg kind of thing. But yes, Xbox is on the up and up right now. So a lot of the whole Forza Horizon's doing well because it's cool. Like Xbox, Xbox is good to like now. Because Game Pass and Halo Infinite are cool. It's just this whole thing of like the stars have aligned and the cycles have rebegun. And it's cool to like Halo. It's cool to like Xbox rather again. But as it is a little bit frustrating at some points because it's like, dude, Xbox One was such a good generation. And we just sat here and suffered through seven years of you guys making fun of us. And just hating on this platform without any real concept of what it was. And now all of a sudden you like it again. You know, you're just coming back like nothing ever happened. Like you guys weren't doing seven years of TV, 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 sports, 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 you know, Call of Duty, Halo. But uh, whatever. Welcome back. We're glad to have you all here. Hope you enjoy your Series X. Hope you enjoy your Game Pass and your Halo Infinite. Uh, let's all let's all focus more on getting along and being friends and not so much um, our hypocrisies of which we all are to blame for. Anyway, Mr. Miggy has the final comment. Says, Jesse. That new Acura Integra makes me PP hard, which is why... Oh, no, no, you said it makes your PP... Oh, makes my PP hard, which is bad because it's still November. Also, I know you said you're going to stream only once a week now, but considering Halo Infinite multiplayer just came out, I'm in the future, of course, it's going to tempt you to stream 24-7, no? Well, Mr. Miggy, you're not wrong. I don't know, I have a busy week ahead of me uh, for, the re- for the rest of this week. I'm, I'm a little slammed with some shit, um, so... I don't know. I'm a little frustrated with Halo Infinite if I'm being completely honest. The problem with Halo Infinite right now is that if you told me a month ago, hey, they're going to shadow drop Halo Infinite, I'd be like, fuck yes, that's the most badass thing they could possibly do. I'm so for this. Hell yeah, let's go. I would have been like that. But the thing is, these past few weeks, I came into some unexpected games on my plate that I'm kind of upset about having to just put down now. So as you guys know, I've been playing through Skyrim. I'm kind of far into the main quest and I really wanted to see the main quest to the end before Halo came out. But here we are. I just got like five hours left of the main quest line of Skyrim. I'm enjoying the hell out of Skyrim. I'm really into it. I'm really in the mood for it. But now Halo Infinite's here and I just, I, I, I can't justify playing not Halo Infinite. Same thing with Call of Duty Vanguard. Originally, I wasn't going to buy this game, or especially not at launch, because I'm like, whatever, I'll, I'll, I'll come back when Black Ops is here again. But I ended up caving, getting Vanguard, liking it a whole lot more than I thought I would, and now I'm kind of having fun playing through zombies, grinding my camos for my guns, trying to unlock certain things, prestige, all this shit, and I just feel like I gotta stop cold in my tracks, because I'm not gonna not play Halo Infinite. You know, I'm not gonna just... 
I'm not going to be on Xbox Live and have people see, oh, yeah, Halo Infinite just came out and Jesse is playing Call of Duty Vanguard. You know, it's like I, I, I could be caught dead doing that. So, no, all joking aside, though, it is it's fr- a little frustrating because Halo Infinite kind of came out at this time where, like, I'm so happy that we got Halo Infinite early. And, of course, there's no law that prohibits me from finishing Skyrim or playing more Call of Duty. But I, it just feels like a sin to be playing anything other than Halo Infinite. Fucking Forza Horizon 5, I barely got to put any time into the game. And we're already on Halo Infinite. So the timing of this kind of actually frustrates me a little bit. Although it's very exciting and very happy news. So I don't know. Uh, this isn't even what you were asking. But yes, I, I'm planning on doing some impromptu Halo Infinite streams. Maybe this weekend. But yes, just because Thursday streams are gone doesn't mean I'm not I'm not ever going to stream more than once a week. Guys, that's going to do it for all of our comments this week. I'm sorry, Wes. I put your comment at the top of the show where you mentioned Halo. But then I forgot to read it because I scrolled too far past it. So I do apologize for that, Mr. Wes. But guys, that's going to do it for all of our comments this week. Remember, for next week, don't be shy reply but next let's jump into what i've been playing before i can tell you about what i've been playing i gotta tell you about what i've been eating that's right something's gotta fuel this little boy while he plays all that halo infinite and sure as hell is not gonna be broccoli and and grilled chicken that's for sure so what have i been eating well eventful week for you guys taco bell brought back and shout out to mavs man who, who brought this to my attention last week brought back the grilled cheese burrito this was my favorite new item at Taco Bell in quite a while when it came out last fall. This was around the time the Series X came out that this was announced and launched. I ate so many of these things. At the time, I mean, there was a time where, uh, God, I worked like right down the road from a Taco Bell. I guess I still work right down the road from a Taco Bell, but a different location, whatever. At the time, I was like on lunch breaks going to Taco Bell, downing two of these things, and then like two days later going to Taco Bell for dinner and eating two more of these things. I was eating these things left and right, these stuffed grilled cheese burritos. They were so fucking good, but now they're back. And they got a steak version, they got the beef version again, and they have a spicy version where the outside of the tortilla is grilled cheese, but also with jalapeno in it. Um, so I just got the one from last year again, just to rekindle that experience. I got the beef one with the grilled cheese regular, just to try it. Right. And a couple things. One, it is just as delicious and amazing as I remember it being last year. So thank God. But two, a couple things have changed since last year with my approach to eating food and that this year I've been very calorie conscious. I've been counting my calories pretty much religiously since I think it was March, maybe February. You know, I lost some weight. I've been trying to drink the zero sugar soda instead of the regular soda. I've been trying to count my calories, get more exercise in regularly, and I've been doing good with it. But here's the thing. This is one of those items that I didn't know. A, a year ago, I didn't know because I didn't pay attention to calories. I would get two of these motherfuckers, and that would just be lunch alone. And then I'd go home and eat dinner. Guys, one of these ca- one of these burritos is enough calorie content to be 50% of what you're allowed to eat a day. I'm allowed just over 2,000 calories a day. Holy fucking shit, man. This thing's like 950 calories for one of these burritos. Like, what am I supposed to do with that? It's like, because here's the other kicker. It's not as big as I remember it being. It is, um, it's not like, uh, like a Chipotle or Moe's or kind of like fat ass, you know, like legit size burrito or like when you go to like a legit Mexican restaurant and they give you just that massive fucking burrito just drenched in cheese and everything. It's not that. This is, this is not that at all. It is a, you could eat three of these and that would be like a full meal. You could eat, you know, two maybe for most people, but three, you know, if I, if I ate two of these, that's it. That's all I can eat for the whole fucking day. And they're not even that big. 
So in this more calorie-conscious-minded world I'm living in, I just can't justify eating this thing even though I want to eat it all day every day. So it's just so frustrating because I'm like, well, when I go to Taco Bell, the tacos are only 200 calories. The rice bowls are only 500 calories. I can justify these items. Why the fuck is a cheesy gordita crunch over 500 calories? Why is this one smallish, medium, medium smallish size burrito 950 fucking calories? And so I'm torn because it's here. It's only for a limited time. I loved it last year. I love it this year. It's so, so good. I want to eat more and more of it. But my option is like starve all day and eat one burrito (laughs) or like don't eat this thing and continue living a normal life. And it's just, I'm just, I just, I just want to share with you guys. I'm conflicted. It's hard. It's a difficult thing to grip with, but that's the first thing. The second thing I've been eating, or I should say drinking is what headhunting Halo alluded to. Yes. Mountain Dew Ginger Snap is out now. I'm, I wish I weren't saying this. It is the gingerbread Mountain Dew flavor. Fuck us all. I generally love all the white flavor Mountain Dews because the way they make it is they take Mountain Dew White out, which is my favorite Mountain Dew flavor. They use that as a basis, and then they 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 twist it. They twist the recipe to come up with Voodoo for Halloween or Ginger Snap for Christmas or whatever it is. Usually I like these. Like when they did the cake one, I loved it. Tasted like Mountain Dew Whiteout with a hint of cake. When they did like the first two versions of Voodoo, I loved it. It tasted like Whiteout with a hint of like candy corn or orange creamsicle or something. But this year, they're fucking dropping the ball, man. Because Voodoo this year for this past Halloween sucked. It tasted like Smarties dry powdered candy crushed up with like a huge acidic twist and it fucking sucked. It didn't taste like Whiteout. It didn't taste like previous Voodoo flavors. It was terrible. The can art was awesome, though. Ginger Snap's kind of the same thing. It's like, it sure as hell does taste like gingerbread. And guess what? That's not a delectable fucking flavor for Mountain Dew. You can taste the ginger. You can taste the the nutmeg flavor. And it's in this cold, um, carbonated, acidic beverage. It's not like a warm, easy-drinking, you know, tea drink or something that's perfect for the holidays. It is legitimately Mountain Dew. With a heavy ginger flavor. It is disgusting. It is absolutely abhorrent. So I I knew I wasn't going to like it. I knew there was a high chance Mountain Dew had fucked up yet again. Because they've been on the decline lately with all these flavors. They're going the quantity over quality route lately. So instead of getting the 12 pack. I just got two personal bottles. One of course to add to the collection. And one to drink. And god damn I'm glad I didn't get any more. Because this flavor sucks. This is possibly the worst. I mean Major Melon sucks. Uh, Frostbite sucks. Voodoo version 3.0 sucks. A lot of new Mountain Dew flavors these days absolutely suck. Ginger Snap takes the cake. This is terrible. Mountain Dew, listen, heed my warning. You are the gods of, of, of the soft beverage game. Please stop it with your fall from grace. Stop it with the overload of new flavors. Stop. Just think about what you're doing. Slow down. The sweet lightning at KFC, it sucks. We don't need it. And you can do good flavors still. I don't know what the Flamin' Hot Mountain Dew tastes like because it sold out in two seconds and you never sold it again. So fuck you for that. Terrible customer service experience there. You guys kind of suck. and You hyped it up and then sold it to almost no one. But I, I got to be honest, man. Like, you, you killed it with the birthday cake flavor. You killed it with, with a Liberty Brew back in the summer of 2019. So you have recent examples of doing it right. But Frostbite sucks. Sweet Lightning sucks. Uh, Major Melon sucks. Uh, this snapped sucks. The newest version of Voodoo sucks. You guys, 
I didn't even try the Wicked Apple one because it's not even sold in the state of Florida. You can't even buy it in the state of Florida. That's the other frustrating thing is they keep making flavors that you can't even get your hands on. They have a flavor at Bojangles. I need to go find a Bojangles to get this thing. There's a flavor at Sam's Club. I'll defend that one because I'm a Sam's Club aficionado. But, like, this is becoming a problem, Mountain Dew. Stop it. Stop it. Bring back Voodoo. Put it in every – or bring back Whiteout. Make it readily available across the nation. Please, for the love of God. Mountain Dew's having a little bit of an Xbox One fumble. Let's put it that way. I'm just kidding. <laughs> all right. But that's it for what I've been eating. Now, guys, what have I been playing? Whatever. We kind of talked about all the games I've been playing already, right? Forza Horizon 5, Call of Duty Vanguard, Skyrim, and Halo Infinite. We talked about them all already. I'll just briefly touch on kind of where I am with them. Forza Horizon 5, I played a little more this weekend. I'm really enjoying it. Uh, I I feel stressed about this game because I don't know when I'll ever get back to it because it's brand new. It's exciting. I want to play it, but also I'm in the middle of a million other games, one of them being Halo Infinite, which is the mother, you know, the mother of all games. So fuck it. You know, what, what can I do? Call of Duty Vanguard. I'm this close to prestiging. I'm working on my gold skins for zombie guns. I'm having a good time. I'm really enjoying the game way more than I thought I would. Now I don't want to play it because Halo Infinite's out. So I'm like, what the fuck? Uh, like, what? It's like, I want to play it, but I don't want to play it at the same time. It's so frustrating. Um, but I, I will say, Vanguard, real quick, I, I beat the campaign over the weekend. I'm glad I did that at least because now I don't have to think about it again. The campaign is very entertaining and very cinematic, which is fun. It is fun to watch and to pl- be along for the ride. But the characters absolutely suck and the and, and the story is lame and cringy as hell. Like I said, I think I said this last week, it feels very much like alt-World War II history from the perspective of like Twitter social warriors circa the Trump resistance phase of like 2017, 2016. And I mean, I guess that's predominantly what this game is, and that's why it feels so much that way. I don't even necessarily mean that in like a negative or positive way. It just is what it is, you know? And so like for me, it's alt history, right? So you're allowed to get weird with it. Wolfenstein was alt history, and it's fucking fun as shit. But I just feel so disconnected from this game when I'm like prepping myself for another Call of Duty World War II game. But, like, the writing is just so cringy and so bad. It's just, like, you know, like, this 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 character in, like, 1947 is just, like, fuck you fascist scumbags, you racist sacks of shit, you bigots, you, you, like, and they're just, it's just, like, I, I don't know, this sounds more like a, like a 2017 Twitter rant and a lot less, like, what, a, a, a British person in 1947 sounded like talking about Nazis, you know, it's like, I don't know. It just, it just feels like a lot of the, um, the cultural nuance and the writing chops and, and just kind of like those things were just really, <laughs> really glossed over and not given much attention at all. That's So it's, it's a little cringy in that regard, but still, I, I will say it's, it's one of those games where it centers around a, a wide ranging cast of characters the Australian guy and the Russian girl. They're both pretty cool characters. Every other character fucking sucks. Especially especially the British guy who's like kind of the head of the squad. He is a fucking vanilla ass, boring, uninspired piece of shit character. He's so unimag like unbelievably unimaginative and lame. He's just not a good character. Uh the American guy is super fucking lame, unimaginative, and just like Total D-bag, totally unlikable. Maybe that's intentional. I don't know. But God, like the fucking Nazi characters are so goddamn lame. It's just it's just not not a fun cast of characters and not fun writing, but nonetheless, 
it's weird. It's like it's it's like I kind of like hate enjoyed it because it's like I was so busy hating the characters and hating the dialogue while also still being pretty captivated by like where the story was going and then all the cinematics because for a Call of Duty campaign like it is heavy on the cinematics. Like there are long cutscenes in between every level and there's a lot of that going on which I kind of quite enjoyed and it's a very short even by Call of Duty standards very short campaign like four and a half hours so. I'm glad I played through it. It ranks low on the Call of Duty campaign tier list, which kind of sucks considering that Black Ops Cold War had a really good campaign last year. And two years ago, Modern Warfare 2019 had a really good campaign. Um, but yeah, Vanguard's campaign, not great. It's it's fun. It's worth a ride if you're going to spend $70 on the game, but not great. Glad I got out of the way. Uh, the multiplayer is where this game shines. The zombies still pretty weak, although it's weird. Like the zombies are objectively a letdown, but I'm still having a lot of fun playing them anyway. Like I played hours and hours of zombies this weekend, even though it's not very good. Uh, but I'm I'm still having a blast just <clears throat> just shooting zombies and grinding all the uh, weapon camos and attachments for my guns. So whatever, I'm having a good time doing that. But the the multiplayer is the thing of Vanguard that shines. Zombies campaign, whatever multiplayer. Very good stuff. Very solid campaign or a multiplayer experience. But that's that's Call of Duty. And then Skyrim. I made it. I'm I'm in the third act of the uh, of the main quest. I'm really really enjoying this game. I, I I have nothing else to add to Skyrim other than to just reiterate. This is a game I just wrote off for so many years. I thought it was definitely not my thing. But I like this game so so much. And my only regret is I didn't play it sooner. And I, I will, this is of all the games I'm mentioning right now, this is the game that I just have to get back to, even though Halo Infinite's out. I just have to, you know, I'll finish the main quest, put it away, and then I'll come back some other day to, to do more in the game. But like, I have to go back and just finish this main quest line because I, I don't want to do that whole like, oh, it was a good game, but I fell off and I never got back to it. I really don't want that to happen with Skyrim because I genuinely like, like this game way too much to let that be the case. So I'm really enjoying Skyrim. I really want to, you know, get back to those last three or four hours I have left in the main quest line. Uh, but I, I just, I mean, you guys know you've probably all beaten and played Skyrim many times before. Uh, but to me, it's new, and I'm, I'm really quite enjoying it. And then, of course, there's Halo Infinite. And we went all throughout it, up and up and down at the top of the show. That, that's what I'm doing this weekend, guys. I'm, I'm, I'm ignoring all my responsibilities. I'm playing Halo Infinite. What do you want me to say? Yeah, I can't believe it. I, I actually really like Halo Infinite's big team battle mode, and I usually do not like big team battle. So, like, that's a testament to how much I'm really enjoying this game. It feels very good. It feels very, very balanced. I would like an ability to just turn off crossplay altogether because I really don't want to play with you freaking PC nerds. But, um, God, this game's very, very good game. Very, very Halo. I'm very happy that Halo is back. A little sad that I didn't get to do a proper send-off for Halo 5, but goddamn. December 8th is rolling around. I got all this time off work, and uh, I guess it's all going to be focused on the campaign. But man, oh man, am I excited to finally get my hands on the other half of this package because as much as I love Halo Infinite, campaign's actually my favorite part of Halo games, so... Whew, I am I'm I'm so ready for this. I'm so let's you know you guys say it. Let's go. But uh, guys, we're about <laughs> about an hour and a half into the fucking podcast, and we're just now getting to the news. I'm telling you, it's a big fucking week. But we got some big news stories to get through. Uh, so let's jump in right now. You you sexy son of bitches, son, sons of bitches. 
All right, and we're back. So, news, news, news. Tons of it. So let's just jump straight in. Speaking of our boy at the top of the show, Jez Corden over at Windows Central, he's got a big old scoop for us to go over this week. So from Windows Central, from his article directly, I'll just read. Much like Netflix, ensuring Xbox Game Pass has a steady flow of new subscribers is a top priority for Microsoft's gaming agenda. A steady flow of new subscribers means that it's means the firm needs a steady flow of content. And they're investing more in that area than ever before. We know about upcoming Xbox games like Halo Infinite, Starfield State, K3, Redfall, etc. But we've been offered a sneak peek at some of the yet-announced exclusives as well. Microsoft's publishing arm is working hard on um, partner titles like Project Dungeon from IO Interactive and Project Bel- uh, Belfry from Stoic Studios. Among detailed avowed gameplay from Obsidian that we've been lucky enough to learn about in recent weeks. But now we've got some information on two new ones. The first one is Compulsion's Project Midnight. Compulsion joined Microsoft nearly at the start of their content acquisition spring around 2018. The firm is known primarily for their title We Happy Few, which despite the gameplay problems, delivered a big art direction uh, direction department delivered big in the art direction department. We Happy Few's twisted vision of fallen uh, Britain proved a truly intriguing concept and solidified Compulsion as a studio worth a lot of potential. But recently, we've received some details on Compulsion's first outing as part of Xbox Game Studios, currently codenamed Midnight. This upcoming title is supposed to be a third-person action game set in a dark and fantastical world. Some of the game's early concept artwork can be um, represents the game's protagonist, along with a warped, harpy-like humanoid that appears to descend through various iterations and mutations. Midnight is described as a coming-of-age tale drawing upon inspirations from America's Deep South. The game features magic and large fantastical beasts with a strong southern gothic vibe. The game is wholly single-player with what has been described as a strong story. Right now, we have no clue the timing of Midnight, but likely we're looking at a couple years before an official reveal, perhaps even a full launch, although it could come later depending on Compulsion's growth and ambition for the title. The second title that we have a sneak peek at is Obsidian's up a new title from Obsidian titled Pentiment. Recently revealed by Jeff Grubb on his Grub Snacks show, Obsidian's indie-style effort is emerging from a small team, or from their indie-style effort is emerging a small team led by John Sawyer, former, or sorry, Josh Sawyer, far, uh, famed for his leadership on what is arguably the best follow game, New Vegas, as well as a personal favorite, Pillars of Eternity. That's Jez's words, not mine. Recently revealed that the name with my co-host, Randall, Randall Thor 19 on the Xbox 2 podcast being Pentiment, which refers to an underlying image in a painting, especially one that has become visible when the top layer of paint has been turned transparent with age. The naming convention hints that the game's premise by which you act as an investigator in the 16th century in 16th century Europe uncovering the truth behind a grisly murder. Jeff Grubb mentioned uh, that Pentiment takes cues from the likes of Disco Elysium and branching narrative design Josh Sawyer is known for. You'll be able to investigate and make accusations against characters in-game, which could lead to cascading consequences if you're wrong. A dialogue-heavy game with decisions that make to make in that response options to choose from that will shape the experience as you unwrap the murder conspiracy before you. The game is being built by a small team of around 12 people um, and is more of a narrative RPG adventure than something combat-oriented. The art asset that is running out there in the wild uh, rep- represents some of the designs for the game. Uh, which show that it is an experimental game um, with uh, gameplay elements as well, although many, although they may ultimately not go 
into the final release. Speaking of which, Jeff Grubb also noted that Pentiment is indeed gunning for a 2022 launch. Okay, so we have a, a pretty sizable game here and then a smaller game. So let's let's just knock Pentim Pentiment out first because it's the easier one of the two. Obsidian's clearly going for that, which the article notes and they've noted, uh, that more like smaller indie style where they have their bigger projects like Avowed and, and Outer Worlds 2 that they are working on, but they have these spin-off teams that are working on smaller projects like like Grounded and now Pentiment as well. So this isn't going to be the big release from Obsidian, the thing that everyone's hyping and looking forward to, but a nice little um, smaller kind of experience that, that comes in addition from this studio. So, and again, we've talked ad nauseum about how this is exactly the kind of thing developers are able to do with Game Pass because you're able to release all sorts of weird experimental projects into the Game Pass because people are more receptive to and open to trying things when it's all accessible through the service they're already paying for rather than you having to sell them on each and every individual experience. So this gives developers a lot more creative freedom to do smaller projects like this, to do one-off projects like this, to get weird and fun with it. And Obsidian is taking full advantage of that for sure. So that is, I don't know, that's an, it's definitely more of a niche product. It's definitely more of a, a thing that some people will be really into, but isn't going to have mass appeal. However, it is something I'm interested to definitely see for myself to see if it's one of those one-off kind of things where normally I wouldn't be into this, but this is something that I might be into depending on, yeah, whatever. Um, the idea of it being very dialogue heavy and not being very gameplay forward is not generally my cup of tea, but I am uh, pretty curious to see what that looks like, especially knowing that Josh Sawyer is working on the project, guy behind Fallout New Vegas, everyone's favorite Fallout game. So maybe at the very least will be a very compelling interactive experience just for the branching narrative kind of uh, design of the game. Now, the other one, the in the bigger one, the one that catches my eye more is Compulsion's Midnight Project, because Compulsion is a, is a studio that hasn't proven itself. Obsidian's proven itself time and time again. Compulsion is a studio. In fact, I would argue it is the number one studio in Xbox's repertoire. Where I'm kind of crossing my arms and tapping my foot at this one, saying, "Why you? Why you guys?" What have you done? What can you possibly add? You know that is of like of real notable value to Xbox because we happy few. Well, I had a great E3 showing that one year it was revealed, and you know it is a visually striking game. Not a very fun game. I've tried multiple times to play the game. It, it just doesn't grab me. I know it didn't grab most people. It's a weird game. It launched in uh, it launched in early access and then kind of quietly came out at one point. It was like a roguelike, weird, procedurally generated something or other. It, it was a game that billed itself almost as like this uh, Bioshock-type game and then ended up being nothing like that whatsoever. So I, I feel like it's like, okay, whatever. They were a smaller team. That was their first project. Let them have it. What are they going to do next? But now that they're part of Xbox, I'm like, I, I kind of expect big things from you guys. I expect you to staff up quite a bit and put something serious together. And, well, the good news is, while this doesn't confirm that it's going to be something I give a shit about, who, who fucking knows? Who cares what I like? The big thing here is that this is kind of the direction they're going in. Here we got a strong, story-focused, single-player, you know, action-adventure game, so to speak. And it, it seems pretty fucking cool. This setting, this, uh, this gothic southern, deep south uh, kind of setting, it sounds fucking awesome. You know, coming-of-age story, I, I love this. It has a very... Uh, it actually gives me a little bit of Tim Burton or Tim Schaefer, you know, uh, kind of kind of vibes, maybe a little bit of a Psychonauts kind of inspiration in all this. Uh, I'm very curious to see what becomes of this, just because based on these kind of broad facts about this game, it's already shaping up to be 
not only a very big Jesse game, but a, a very interesting game that fills a gap that Xbox needs filling, which is more of these single player driven, story driven kind of uh, singular experiences with a kind of a bigger budget, more of a AAA approach to it. And it seems like it's kind of what we're getting out of this. Uh, we know Compulsion has been staffing up and, and getting pretty ambitious with their scope and scale of their next title. So I'm pretty damn excited to see more of what this is. It is a shame that's probably years away from us really seeing anything substantial. But nonetheless, this is pretty promising information that makes me a lot more curious about Compulsion, a studio I've otherwise been pretty dismissive of, or maybe not dis so much dismissive as uh, you know, just a little wavering on. Um, but yeah, that's a really awesome scoop, really good scoop from Jez Corden. Uh, just again, more and more and more games coming from Xbox first party output. So we're going to go from quote unquote, no games, which I, you know, I thought in those days we had plenty of good games to play to, oh my God, I cannot keep up with this. I mean, look at what just happened where Halo launched on top of Forza. It's like, okay, ca calm down guys. So really exciting. A little overwhelming and daunting, but really cool stuff. Nonetheless, next up VGC. And this is the new story that probably just warms my heart the most this week. But VGC reports that a new 1 vs. 100 game is definitely in development at Microsoft. It's been claimed. That's according to the games journalist Jeff Grubb, who's showing up all over the news today, uh, who's claimed that on his Giant Bomb show that the game is currently actively in development at Altspace VR, which is part of Microsoft's Mixed Reality division. The original 1 vs. 100 game was an online show that ran weekly on the Xbox 360 in 2009, with one player being chosen as the one up against a group of 100 others made up of the mob, with the rest making up the crowd. The one had the opportunity to win 10,000 Microsoft points, while the remaining members of the mob split the winnings up and each received a free game if they were able to defeat them. According to Grub, the new 1 vs. 100 will utilize the 3D avatars recently announced as part of a VR experience for Microsoft Teams. And Grub says, quote, 1v100 is coming back. They are definitely making that game, and it seems like it's coming to an Altspace VR team. They're spearheading the project, and all the avatars we saw on Microsoft Teams last week, they're going to be used in those. That's what he literally just said. It's a little redundant. Head of Xbox, Phil Spencer, previously suggested that they could be working on a trivia game from the past. In 2020, at a FanFest live event, which was intended to run alongside a special website quiz, uh, however, technical issues ultimately meant that the trivia game did not take place during that event. But Spencer did say at one point, I just want to say when our teams are trying to do new things that we've never done before, I want to be 100% behind those things. Spencer explained on the live stream, sometimes they'll turn out amazing. Sometimes they'll be good learning experiences. But for the fans who have been on out there with us, we're going to make it good. We're going to make it we're going to make it good with you guys. We didn't know exactly what it is yet, so thanks for helping us during our little experiment. We'll learn maybe uh, maybe we should even build our own trivia game like from the past that allows people to play trivia more often. Maybe that could happen. In 2019, Phil Spencer specifically mentioned 1v100 as a title Xbox would love to revive and re revealed a discussion he had take that had taken place on how best to bring it back. So this has been a thing that's been brought up over the years on and off again. I know um, Ryan McCaffrey at IGN has been very vocal over the years about wanting this to come back. And anytime he gets to talk to Phil Spencer, I feel like he brings it up there as well. So this is something that has come up time and time again over the years, bring back 1v100. The thing is, 1 vs. 100 was one of those, God, it was one of those Xbox 360 things, man. Xbox 360 was such a fucking special console that was so ahead of the time. And this is one of those little things about it that was just so ahead of the time. Because I remember, 
I was like a freshman in high school whenever when this happened. But when 1v100 came out, it was such a special time because it was a time where I was like always just permanently poor. You know, I was just a fucking kid. I had no way of like buying all the new games I wanted. This is like, God, this is like one of my final years of remembering what it was like to just not have disposable income or like a part-time job where I could save up and buy the games I wanted to play. And I just remember that pain of being like, I would love to buy game X, but I just don't have 60 bucks. I would love to buy game Y, but like, I don't know Then I wouldn't be able to buy game X. I really want to play that too, but I don't have any money for even the first game. So I'm going the second game and all that. And I just remember that pain so fucking well from back in those days. And one verse 100 was such a special little treat back in those days, especially because it was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So what you're telling me, me as someone who can't afford to get, you know, Guitar Hero 5 or whatever, because I just, I don't, I don't have enough. I ran out of games to sell to GameStop, whatever. You're telling me I can just download this game for free. It is like this live event that happens at a specific time and place, like a sporting event or like a live TV thing or like, a, you know, like whatever. That's so fucking cool. And I can just tune in and play this game. And if I'm lucky, and if I if I do well, if I answer the questions well, I might get selected to be in the thing that that earns Microsoft points that actually translate to real currency that I can then use to buy games with. It's like that was so alluring, so attractive. And I swear this isn't one of those things where it's like I just I just think fondly of it because I was a kid back then. I didn't have any money back then, and it was it was exciting. I swear, even now as an adult who has way less time to play games, you know, well the problem is flipped. I have less time to play games. But I have the money to to buy a game if I wanted to. I just don't have the time to play the game. You know, even though that situation has flipped for me, I don't see that stopping me from from wanting to play something like this. And I feel like a lot of you out there feel the same way. I know, I I know. In fact, you know, a lot of you guys are OG, long-standing Xbox fans. One verse one hundred is something we're all a little nostalgic and in and, and, and you know a little teary eyed for because it was just such a special thing, right? Like you would just you would come home and be like, one verse one hundred is on, and you and your friends would get in an Xbox Live party and you would jump in. You're like, holy shit, guys! What's the answer? What's the answer? What's the answer? And you would try to get your way through the questions, and and then every now and then it's like, holy shit, someone you knew actually made it into the mob. You know, someone's in the one hundred, uh, and and like I, I never made it into the one hundred. I distinctly remember that, but I do know. My friend one time made it into the mob and he and he won a couple hundred Microsoft points. And I remember that being so fucking cool to me as a kid. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. You mean we just hung out on Xbox Live and played this game and answered questions and now you got money for that? And it was just it wasn't even just the fact that you got stuff. It was just on top of that, the fact that it was it was a live event. It was like a thing. It was like a place you had to be. It was a thing you had to experience. It's not like Halo, where it's like, you know, I could be on Halo right now playing the game with other people live, but, you know, I can also just wait till, like, tomorrow afternoon and play it then, and it'll still be the same game. It'll still be available. One verse 100 was, like, this thing. It's like, no, no, no. These are the days and times where it's on, like a fucking live TV show. you got to be there at the right time, and then it's like, you got to participate. It's like, some people are going to win today. Some people are going to lose today. The questions aren't going to be the same every day. Everything is different. It was just this actual live work-in-progress game show that was happening in real time on Xbox Live. And it was revolutionary. It was so ahead of its time. It was so fun. It was so engaging. It was such a great way to pull people out, to pull people out of the community, to get people to like, get together with their friends and, and hang out and socialize and gather around video game consoles and interact with games and game consoles and platforms and these services in a way that wasn't a conventional game. It, it isn't your, oh, let's play Halo and shoot things or let's play Forza and race laps. It's, it's a way that like even... 
more casual, non-traditional gamers might even be able to wrap their heads around, which is like, it's so cool. It's like, hey, hey, grandma, grandpa, you know how you like to rot in front of the fucking TV all day and watch Jeopardy? Well, one verse 100, you get to actually be in the fucking game and you can actually win shit here instead of just sit on the couch and watch other people get rich while you while you live off social security. And it's like, whoa, that's so fucking cool. This was a very alluring, very forward-thinking thing. And it, it's such a shame that one verse 100 ever even ended to begin with. But I just remember so many good times with my buddies on Xbox Live experiencing this game together. And I just think bringing this back, Xbox is already having this kind of renaissance that it hasn't, you know, that this kind of success and adoration that it had in 360 days. It's kind of rekindling that with Series X and S being cool and Game Pass being very popular and Halo Infinite being like the Halo game that everyone really wanted to see come out and all that. It's like, guys, we're, we're recapturing some of that Xbox 360 magic. This is fantastic. And what better way to kind of add into that than bringing back something like One Verse 100? I think... This is such a very, very exciting and special thing, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited. I, I'm very confident that this is what it is. It might not be called one verse one hundred. It might be a little different. It might function a little differently. But the core concept, the the spirit of it, I think, is what will survive into whatever it is they're working on right now. And I personally am, am very excited for whatever we get to see or, or get our hands on, whatever that is. So, very, very cool stuff. Our next story and our never-ending barrage of stories this week uh, comes from VGC. Xbox boss Phil Spencer has reiterated that Bethesda's The Elder Scrolls VI will be an Xbox console exclusive when it eventually releases. Asked about Elder Scrolls VI in a new GQ interview that celebrates 20 years of Xbox, Spencer revealed his thoughts on how the upcoming RPG will fit into Xbox's lineup, saying, quote, It's not about punishing other platforms. Like, I fundamentally believe, uh, I'm of the belief, all of the platforms can continue to grow. But in order to be on Xbox, I want us to be able to be, to bring the full and complete package of what we have. And that would be true when I think about Elder Scrolls 6. That that would be true when I think about any of our franchises. Later in the piece, game uh, Bethesda Game Studios' Todd Howard discusses his first months working in the Xbox ecosystem and said that Game Pass had really been a big change for how the team thinks about the design. Before Game Pass, Todd Howard says, you might want to make this game and then you're going to sit and sit in a lot of forecast sales meetings and say, well, I don't know if we can make that game, he said. Game Pass opens up the creative canvas to many more types of games that may not find an audience in other ways, Howard recently said. He wishes the company could release Elder Scrolls 6 sooner, but explained that the game is still likely years away. So, Phil Spencer's part of this interview reiterates exactly what we've talked about and known for a while. So I don't want to dwell on that too much because it is the, yes, these games are exclusive to Xbox now. We want to offer the complete experience to Xbox. Basically just saying we want Game Pass and Xbox and everything to be attracted together. I don't want to get on that because we've talked about this before. I don't even see that as much of a story. I feel like that is a repeat of something we talked about earlier in the year. Todd Howard's point here, though. This is Todd Howard literally saying exactly what I was saying. This is literally what I just said about Obsidian's new game, actually, which is that this is the beauty of Game Pass, is that you can go nuts and do all this weird shit. And and I wonder, it's weird, because last week Todd Howard was talking to IGN, and he's talking about how Elder Scrolls Six is still very far away because they're not even done with, with, with Starfield, and then after that, Fallout 5 is next, and then that's like super far away because they haven't even really gotten into Elder Scrolls Six yet. And now he's talking about <laughs> the way you can kind of do more creative, smaller type, interesting, creative, or uh, blah, 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 like um, 
off the wall kind of games because Game Pass affords you that opportunity. You know, you can maybe a game that wouldn't sell very well, but a game that might do well if you get in front of an audience that doesn't have to pay to get in, right? What does that have to do with Elder Scrolls 6 and Fallout 5 is my question. So it almost makes me wonder if that is more of a response from Todd Howard on ways other studios in the Bethesda family can kind of continue to go about making new games. Honestly, first thing I think of is is our, um, Arcane because Arcane is consistently a team that puts out games that critics love and audiences don't give a shit about and that don't sell very well. They're a prime candidate for Game Pass for that reason. But also, like, what do they mean by this? You know, it's like Bethesda, we know ex- Bethesda Game Studios, the guys that make Skyrim and in, in, in Fallout 4 and shit like that. Those guys are spread very thin. So what could he possibly be alluding to? I guess he's just talking in the broad sense. But at the same time, I can't help but wonder, like, is he alluding to anything? Is he talking about another studio? Is he talking about, you know, possibly all these teams that make these single-player games that kind of come out they sell they're done and that's it like how they could possibly make more bite-sized or small-scale or experimental or lower cost kind of budgety games because they can just do more content put it all in the game pass and find an audience that way and not have to do a new four-year wolfenstein from the ground up full-edged triple-a game I, I i don't know but uh i i do find it curious that todd howard is commenting on this when he of all of xbox studios teams are like pretty specifically working on one game at a time i just found it weird that that was all in the same interview but uh speaking of shit tons of games to play on xbox our next up our next story here is that xbox has stated and this was slightly before the 20th anniversary show that they did that 76 new games have been added to the backwards compatibility catalog this week but unfortunately it will be the last set of games to be added so very exciting that we're getting a lot of new games Unfortunately, that's the end of the road. In a blog post on the Xbox Wire, uh, compatibility program lead Peggy Lowe explained that the the company had reached the limit of what was legally and technically possible, saying, quote, the latest and final edition of 76 titles of backwards compatibility program was only possible through the passion of the feedback from the community. Your constant request for specific titles and enhancements encourage the backwards compatibility team to partner with the original creators and preserve thousands of games from over four generations of Xbox. While we continue to stay focused on preserving and enhancing art forms of games, we have reached the limit of our ability to bring new games to the catalog from the past due to licensing, legal, and technical constraints. Thank you for being part of this journey with us. Now, this isn't the first time Xbox has declared the backwards compatibility program it will be over, although it is the last time. Although the last time they gave a reason was to change the focus rather than not being possible. So the big thing here is that Yes, they, they announced, that was like a year or two ago, uh, I think it was in 2019, they were like, hey, we're, we're focusing on our new console, Scarlet, you know, at the time, so we're not really focused on new backwards compatibility titles, so I think we all assumed, I knew I assumed that it would come, it was just a matter of time. This is kind of more of a definitive end where they're saying, like, no, 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 this is it. And I, I get it. There's still a lot of games I really wish would come. Like, why the fuck do we have so many Sonic games, but we we don't have Sonic 06, we don't have Sonic Heroes, we don't have Shadow of the Hedgehog? Like, I can almost play every single Sonic game ever made on my Xbox. But because of, like, just a, a few OG Xbox games and things like that, it's like, nah, not, not completely, which is really upsetting and disheartening to me. But aside from that, you know, more obvious cases like, well, why can't you get Guitar Hero 3 to be backwards compatible? Well, it's like, well... Activision doesn't have any licensing to any of those songs anymore. Like, let's not even joke, okay? So there's no way that's ever happening. So there's some games where it's more obvious than others. 
but I agree. It, they've done such a phenomenal job getting all these games over the years that it's like a little disheartening that it's like, oh, that's the end of it. I kind of just figured it would be this indefinite. We'd always be working again. Another one here, another one there, you know. But uh, no, they, they reach what they say is the end. And, you know, maybe they'll go back on this one day and get more. But I, I get it. They're at the behest of these publishers and these, you know, all there's so many of these games. It's like, let's say it's an EA game where they have archive footage from all these various like uh, institutions that they, that they paid to have this archival footage in the game. Like that, like that metal gear thing that was just in the news or, or, you know, it's like a guitar hero or a grand theft auto situation where it's like, Oh, well these songs are licensed and we don't have the licenses to use them anymore. So we can't really do that. All these kinds of instances where it's like, I, I get it. You can't get all these games. They're not all going to be available, but I just feel like there are still a few where it's like, ooh, you really couldn't have gotten that. So let me just read some of the notable ones that they got. I know the joke was they got 50 Cent, bl- 50 cent Blood on the Sand in backwards compatibility. I know that was like the kind of the meme of it all, but for real, though, they, they got some really good ones here. They got, are you smarter than a fifth grader? Make the grade. No, joking aside, they, they got some very good stuff, though. We got Dead or Alive 3, 4, Ultimate, Disney's Chicken Little. <laughs> we got Fear 1, 2, and 3, Gladius, Re- uh, Ridge Racer, Resident Evil, Operation Raccoon, Red Dead Revolver, which is really good. I kind of want to go back and play that. Quake Arena, Otogi, Oddworld, Munch's Odyssey, Near MX vs. ATV, Mortal Kombat vs. DC Universe, Mortal Kombat, Mini Ninjas, Max Payne 3, 1, 2, 1, 2 and 3, Manhunt, Lego Lord of the Rings, so a lot of licensed stuff they surprisingly were able to get. Rock of Ages, I remember that game. Uh, Scramble, Skate 2, SpongeBob SquarePants, uh, Underpants Slam, SpongeBob's Truth or Square, Star Wars Starfire, Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, Star Wars The Clone Wars, Star Wars Jedi Knight, Jedi Knight 2, Jedi Outcast, Switch, uh, Switchball, that's, I don't know what that is. Thrillville, I remember playing the Thrillville, holy hell. Time Splitters, Toy Story Mania, oh wow, Toy, Sp- Toy Story Mania is backwards compatible, I need to go get that on eBay. Wow, sorry. Viva Pinata, Party Animals, how the hell was that not already backwards compatible, but, I mean, Warlords, that was a good one, my brother used to play the hell out of that. They got a they got a decent fucking loadout of uh, games here, and on top of all the many other hundreds of games they have on backwards compatibility, it's really exciting. However, I just find it a little sad that like that's kind of the end of the road. But still, highly commendable. Um, if you pick up an Xbox Series X today, it is basically the com- console equivalent to having a Steam library because anything you've ever bought on Xbox ever, it's just more or less kind of there and you know with the xbox one generation going forward we no longer have to worry about this at all because it's all kind of the same platform the generation and generation so to speak that's what they really meant by that where like you know like there are there are no xbox one games that you know you can't play on xbox series x except the connect ones i guess but that's really exciting that going forward the catalog can only grow they can't take away they can only add and so i don't know shout out to the xbox backwards compatibility team they've done a great job over the years it is sad to see this initiative come to an end, but at least it went off with a legitimate, like, series bang with tons of games. So that's that. And then, oh, man, guys, the stories just do not. Holy fuck. We got we got to move at a faster clip because we got so many stories. Uh, next up, VGC uh, has another story about Phil Spencer, who's claimed that Game Pass is actually already sustainable despite some um, despite some naysayers and some some back and forth in the in the in the discourse so speaking to axios spencer said i mean 
You could do the math on Game Pass. I guess I don't know how many subscribers we have or how much each subscriber is paying. But you can make some fairly informed decisions and literally just do the math on what Game Pass could eventually be. You can do uh, you can do that on any part of the business. But absolutely, Game Pass is most definitely sustain- sustainable. Spencer added that the growth of Game Pass is part of Xbox's strategy, but not the company's sole focus. It's not the only thing that's growing in Xbox. It's not the only focus the organization has. And as a standalone thing, it's very sustainable as it sits currently. I know there are a lot of people who like to write in that we're burning cash right now for some future pot of gold. No, Game Pass is very sustainable right now, and it sits and continues to grow. Game Pass launched in 2017, and became central Xbox's uh, business, attracting over 18 million subs as of January 2021. The service offers tons of titles, as we all know, for 15 bucks a month, blah, blah, blah. During the fourth quarter earnings call in July, Satya Nadella, Microsoft CEO, said that Game Pass was growing rapidly with subscribers playing approximately 40% more games and spending 50% more than non-members. Despite the growth, though, Xbox Game Pass has attracted fewer new subscribers in the last year uh, or less than Microsoft was initially targeting. Uh, we learned recently that the number only grew by 37.5% during 12 months, and but that ended on June, so we can assume that you know the increase has been much more since then, especially with all these fall games coming out and things like that, Halo, Forza, whatnot. With that, I don't have too much to add to that other than no, notice this. Phil Spencer focuses on, you know, this is the Jez Corden Colin Moriarty back and forth, as I like to refer to it as. Game Pass is sustainable, Spencer says. Game Pass is not profitable. If it were profitable, he would have just said it, but he didn't. So, is it a problem? No. Game Pass is in a good place. Xbox is in a good place with it. They're not destroying the industry right now with the way things are going. Game Pass is sustaining itself. They're making enough money that they can continue to invest in it. Um, but no, they're not making money off it per se, but they're making money in other ways and they're doing fine is basically what he's saying. He's saying, don't worry about the money stuff. Don't worry about the profitability. Game Pass, Xbox, it's all good. But yes, it's sustainable. We're not just hemorrhaging money to try to get this thing off the ground, which I think is an important distinction because that is kind of what Netflix was doing for quite a while, was just hemorrhaging money to try and get things going and sustain. And, you know, Netflix is now profitable, but it was it took a long, long time for them to get there. Game Pass is kind of a similar boat, but, you know, being funded by Microsoft and with Xbox making money in a lot of other ways, they're not solely focused on Game Pass is kind of what he's saying in terms of the only way in which Xbox can gain revenue. They still get a 30% rip of every of every game sold on the storefront, and they still sell hardware, which is presumably sold at a slight profit. So, you know, accessories and things like that, Xbox Live. So they're making money. They're making money in a lot of places. And with that paired with the Xbox Game Pass or Game Pass subscriber count, things are sustainable. Things are, are well. And I, I believe that. I just think he also kind of confirms that Game Pass is still not profitable, which isn't surprising or even necessarily bad yet. I, I don't expect it to be there at least for f- another few years, so whatever. But I do appreciate him coming out and kind of addressing that directly. I think that's kind of cool that he's willing to talk about that. Next up, uh, this is all from the same GQ interview. This is the next tidbit. So Microsoft is encouraging Phil Spencer, according to that interview, to think about a succession plan. In the interview, he was asked to share his thoughts on the future of the Xbox division, and he reveals what he's thinking about, who could replace him as his role as the boss. Spencer told, or has been a Microsoft employee for over three decades, and the company's executive VP of gaming since 2017. He quoted 
Uh, he was quoted saying, clearly, as someone who has been here for 33 years, I have more years behind than ahead of me. But I love, but the longevity of the team, the sustainability of the team, there's nothing more important to me right now than that. Commenting specifically on succession, he said, you should do it when you think about the long-term health of the team to make sure the team is in a good place, the culture of the company is in a good place, and that we're making the right decisions on who to bet on. This has got to outlive me. Later in the piece, Spencer discussed that his how his team views the future revealed how Xbox flags its plans with various quote, horizons based on their proximity. Saying that Horizon 1 plans are things that have happened today. Horizon 2 are projects that happen in a year or three. And Horizon 3 are big ideas that might not happen for five or ten years or whatever. Spencer said that Project 3 Horizons are bets that probably won't even work, but are important to have a team working to ensure innovation thrives in the future. That is a very Microsoft-centric view. What happened? Uh, he also says, what I've learned is also that it's very risky to not take risks. You have to plant those seeds today because they're not just going to happen and you're not going to be able to buy innovation easily. So I can see all of these things Spencer's referring to acting in real time because we've seen this happen with Xbox in recent history. Now, of the succession thing, to me, it seems like Phil Spencer clearly hasn't thought about a successor. He's clearly not planning on leaving anytime soon. Or if he is, this isn't something he's willing to publicly talk about. So we wouldn't know. But yes, that is a good little PR response where he's basically saying, you know, the point at which it's time to think about successors, the point at which the guy in charge of the team can no longer, um, you know, think about the longevity and the sustainability of the team. Once you start losing the foresight to figure out how to sustain and how to uh, continue to have the team thrive, that's when you know it's time to find someone to replace you because you need to get the next person who can figure out that longevity move, who can figure out the sustainability plan for the team. So uh, I like that response, although... It's not very revealing on anything, you know. It's almost like a question. It's assuming that Phil Spencer is going to give you some wisdom that he may or may not have uh, even come across yet at this point in his life. So, you know, he's not he's not a super old guy, guys. Let's not come on. Let's not push him into an early grave here. Um, but I, I I like this Horizons thing because it's very it's very Xbox. It's very or sorry, it's very Microsoft. I love this idea of like Horizon One. These are things we're focused on today. You know, Halo, Game Pass. Xbox Series X. Horizon 2, these are the things happening in a few years. You know, the big games we have coming up, the whatever big plans for the Xbox brand that we can't know today because they won't be announced for years to come. And then Project 3, which are the things it's like, yeah, these things probably aren't even happening. Uh, these are like pie-in-the-sky ideas, but it's important to have aspirations and goal, lofty goals and, 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 you know, things to strive for because they inspire you and push you to do new things and think in new ways that, uh, that, thri- that you know that provide uh, innovation. And I, I love this idea of like, yeah, you can't afford to not take risks because we, we've seen that be absolutely true for Xbox because honest to God, let's, let's pretend game pass never happened. Where would Xbox be right now? They'd put out a new console and you'd have to pay for every game, right? Hey, Forza Horizon five would have just come out 60 bucks. Halo infinite would be coming out in just a, in just a month here, 60 bucks. No service that just gets you all that content for free. It's just a new, more powerful Xbox um, console to compete with the PS5. But what that does is it ostensibly creates, you know, another Xbox One generation, right? 
where you're easily going to get dominated by PlayStation. And by being risky, you're able to do what Xbox has done consistently throughout every console generation, really, which is just kind of reinvent the wheel and push the industry forward in new ways. Xbox Live, entertainment-based consoles. I mean, you think about, like, the Xbox 360 was kind of... You know, people make fun of the Xbox One, but, like, dude, Xbox 360 was all about, like, you can stream Netflix to this device. You can download movies and TV to this device. Like, the Xbox 360 was the thing that pushed the Xbox to become a media device in, in, in ways that we expect all consoles to be nowadays. And so like that, that kind of thinking has consistently put Xbox ahead of the competition with online infrastructure and online services and, and, and dashboards and entertainment offerings and all these things. There, there's a reason why Xbox continues to kind of define what a modern console is, despite the fact that Sony's more successful at selling next gen consoles. And it's because they, they have that, they have that visionary kind of thinking, and that's kind of what Game Pass and xCloud is all about as well. It's about taking that Xbox brand and that console brand beyond just the box. And, uh, you know, you, you can't beat Sony by selling a competitor's version of the same box, right? But you might be able to beat Sony by enabling everyone in the world to play your games through a Xbox-based service that's available on your phone or your computer or whatever pretty smart i don't know I, I, I love that quote but moving on to i think this is the final part of the gq interview the final story from the gq interview now this part is actually with sarah bond microsoft's head of gaming ecosystems rather than phil spencer so she talks about game pass um and how it was actually originally codenamed arches and began as a rental service for video games uh, like a digital game fly rather than uh, more like a Netflix service for games. The shift towards a Netflix-like subscription model came as a result of changes in scales uh, in sales lifespan of games, she explained. Something like 75% of games revenue used to be made in the first two months of release. Nowadays, it's spread over two years. The piece also reveals that Xbox team was initially met with great resistance when going to publishers with the concept of Game Pass. Uh, Sarah says they were like, no way is Game Pass going to, it's going to devalue games. Um, the team began to experiment with older titles in order to convince publishers. I mean, that's why when Game Pass first launched, it was like Gears 4, Forza, uh, Forza Motorsport 6, whatever, you know. Xbox Game Pass launched in June of 2017, or I guess it was uh, Forza, Forza Motorsport 5. Anyway, it has become central to Microsoft's gaming business and attract over 18 million, blah, blah, blah. We already went through all that. But I, I do like this little this little tidbit, this little quip about the original state of Game Pass, that it was a subscription, that it was like a rental service. See, and that ties in kind of Phil Spencer's thing about the Horizons, the the, the level three Horizon projects, um, because um, because that's, that, that's exactly right. You know, like something like Game Pass if you did it as a subscription service, I think people would have been way more accepting and receptive to it at first, like publishers and things like that, because it would have been like, oh, okay, okay, Gamefly kind of thing. Like, maybe we can find a way to make this work, right? Uh, you would assume it's like Xbox will let you rent their games and then publishers would do like some kind of demo thing or like put older games in there. Okay, maybe we can make this work. But it would always have been a half step into what people really wanted, into what people would really hope for, which is what we ended up getting, which is Game Pass, a Netflix-like subscription. Let me just pay a flat fee and then play games. Games, 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 games. And I feel like dreaming big and thinking crazy like that is kind of what led them there. And, you know, not to mention being backed by Microsoft and being one of the wealthiest fucking companies in the entire world. You know, that's how you're able to make that happen. But 
again, it is very cool to see how it went from like a crazy idea to like a crazier idea to just pushing and pushing and pushing and just showing it until, hey, it happened. They faked it till they made it. And, you know, Game Pass is something I don't know if anyone would have ever really believed was going to happen, something that we all would have wanted. But, you know, here we are in a world where Game Pass is commonplace and we all use it every day and love it to death. So pretty cool stuff. Now, it's going to do for all the GQ stuff. So the, the remaining stories we have to go over here, we only have three more left. I told you it's a fucking huge news week. So much Xbox happening. But uh, the rest is other news stories. So this next one I find pretty interesting due to, you know, some other things that have been happening with the studio. But Ryu Ga Go, Gotoku Studio, RGG, the guys behind the Yakuza and Judgment series, is working on a new IP, according to VGC. In a new interview speaking with Famitsu, as transcribed by Ryo Kutia, I don't know, I'm usually not that bad Japanese, I don't, that doesn't even seem like Japanese, whatever. Studio director Masayoshi Yokoyama reportedly revealed that the studio is currently playing a game separate from the Yakuza and Judgment series, saying, quote, we're already working on an unannounced title outside of Yakuza and Judgment, while sequels to Like a Dragon have already been confirmed the future of the judgment franchise is in doubt after an alleged dispute with lead actor at takuya kimura's talent agency which we talked about on the show not too long ago yokoyama continues saying we will continue to cherish the judgment series but in july japanese showbiz news site uh, nikan taisu claimed that sources had indicated that actor takuya Kimura's talent agency had been blocking the PC version of the game Judgment due to not wanting him to appear on PC games. While it's not entirely clear what the what this new game is, the site suggests that because Johnny and Associates has restricted control over the likeness of the character's talent, the use of their image online and the, the, is still limited to a few. Agency may be treating PC games differently because of home computers having direct access to the internet, which we already talked about all that when that story was relevant. But the bigger thing here is that working on a new a new IP, I think, is a really good idea because you got Yakuza, where you just lost your game creator and or director and series creator to... He didn't go to Tencent. He went to the other one. Whatever. The fucking Chinese company to go make communist games or whatever. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. He, he left, right? And RGG Studio had a really cool response to this whole, like... Hey, you just lost like your main guy. What are you guys going to do? How's this going to affect the studio? Where they're like, we hope that you guys will just believe in us and and give us a chance to prove that we can make something awesome um, with our new studio, you know, with our, our newly situated studio. And that paired with the whole like, we can't go back to, you know, that's Yakuza. And then we can't go back to Judgment because this whole issue with the main actors, um, talent agency being all weird and not wanting this game on PC and all this shit puts us in a situation where it's like, okay, we lost our original series creator. We can't use this other franchise. We started working on in recent years. This is a perfect clean slate opportunity to make something entirely new from the ground up and show the world what a new modern RGG studios is capable of. And I, I really like that idea. I really like this paired with that quote they gave the other month about their new kind of leadership structure. I would love to see this studio get like really far outside, you know, the uh, Judgment Yakuza kind of format. Do something really weird. Do something maybe like a little more, do something a little more like mechanically. Yakuza and Judgment have a very arcadey feel. I would like to see them take that in a more, a more like fully fleshed out open world kind of approach. I would be curious to see 
what it's like if they try to make something that's like not GTA like in terms of like, oh, they made a game like GTA, but GTA like in terms of like GTA tries to be very authentic and very real in a lot of ways where it's like, oh, these physics are pretty legit. These mechanics feel pretty like legit, you know, and polished and things like that. Yakuza Judgment, these are games that feel very arcadey, very intentionally so, and I love them for that. But what would it be like if they tried to make something like one of these games, but it had that modern kind of level of polish and realism to the feel and look? I don't know. Maybe it would butt up and really kind of ugly against their very um, over-the-top, ridiculous kind of humor and everything that these games are known for. But at the same time, it's like, I don't know, they could do that or they could lean more and more into like the linear crazy zaniness and and try to make something more story driven and small scale linear or they could, I don't know, you know, like now Yakuza is more turn-based RPG focused. It's like you could try another genre and try to throw more into the mix. I'd just be curious to see kind of what really thinking outside the box and really getting creative with it could be for the studio now that they've kind of have these new limitations imposed on them. I don't know. I just think it'd be really cool to see them try to like reestablish their identity. Although maybe not the smartest move right now, since they are kind of on an all time high, finally getting recognized and appreciated in the West for the first time. So maybe not the best idea for them. Nonetheless. All right. Our penultimate story of the week, guys. VGC reports that Call of Duty Vanguard's UK launch was the lowest of any entry in the series in the modern era. VGC understands on Sunday, GamesIndustry.biz published physical and digital sales data, which showed that opening weekend sales were down 40% year on year compared to Black Ops Cold War from last year. Subsequent data shows that uh, Vanguard was actually Call of Duty's lowest performing launch in 14 years. Only the original Call of Duty Modern Warfare, the game that kicked off the modern era of COD in 2007, sold fewer copies during opening week, sales data seen by VGC suggests. Compared to COD's record launch in 2010 with Black Ops 1, Vanguard sold nearly 200% fewer copies in its opening week. According to that data, even the the franchise perceived outliers like Ghosts uh, and Infinite Warfare performed better than this game at launch. As noted by GamesIndustry.biz, even though Vanguard's results were disappointing from the publisher Activision, Vanguard's still the second biggest uh, UK launch this year aside from FIFA 22. So real quick, some notable numbers. Call of Duty's biggest UK launches from 10 to 1, top 10 biggest launches. Black Ops Cold War, Modern Warfare 2019, Ghosts, Black Ops 3, World War 2, Advanced Warfare, Black Ops 2, Modern Warfare 2, Modern Warfare 3, and Black Ops 1. That's actually a little surprising, that list, um, to me. Cannot believe World War II is in Advanced Warfare that high, that high up, whatever. But I, I just, I don't want to get into this too much because I just want to make, I just want to clear the air on this. I saw a lot of people taking this as like, see, finally, people are coming around to the fact that Call of Duty is bullshit, no one likes it, and, you know, Halo is going to eat its lunch, and, and Battlefield 2042 is going to eat its lunch. It's like, no. Let me, let me put this in perspective for you. The game is selling soft by Call of Duty standards. It's still the second best-selling game of the year, which is amazing, because it's only been on the market for over a week. So, perspective there, okay? Selling incredibly well. You know, it's selling way better than fucking Far Cry 6, which has been on the mo- market for over a month. Selling way better than Resident Evil Village, which has been out since May. Selling way better than, you know, any of these other games that came out at any point this year. So, perspective. But it's a weird transition year. You got a year where a lot of people are moving hardware. A year where a lot of people are kind of holding out for new consoles and are kind of frustrated with that. You got a year where a lot of people 
are disenfranchised with this year's Call of Duty because it's not the one they want. And then you got a year where there's a lot of competition with Battlefield and Halo. So there's a ton of fucking factors at play here. And I think they all add together because you look at, well, what's another Call of Duty that did similarly this bad? Always the transitional Call of Duties. Black Ops Cold War, similar. That was a move that that was kind of a transitional generation of Xbox One to Xbox Series X. That issue is prolonged because of the chip shortage with, with this year and Vanguard as well. But when was the last time we saw that issue happen? Well, it was with uh, Call of Duty Ghosts. Back in 2013, when we were transitioning from Xbox 360 to Xbox One, very common in those transitional years for Call of Duty to kind of be like, whoop. For whatever reason, it just seems to be a trend. So that's not out of the ordinary, and it's not unusual. And the game is still selling extraordinarily well. Now, there, I, I have no doubt that this game's sales have been somewhat impacted because people are tired of World War II Call of Duty. People were not interested in Sledgehammer's next entry. People were more interested in Battlefield and Halo and less so in Call of Duty. I'm sure all of those things are contributing factors. At the end of the day, still wasn't enough to stop Call of Duty from being the second best-selling game of the year already with over a week, with, with only a week on the market. I can promise you Battlefield 2042 has not even come close to touching that number. In fact, we'll get sales data in just a few days on that. And when we do, I promise it will show Battlefield 2042 is selling very, very well. And nowhere near as well as Vanguard, just like Halo. Halo's not going to sell as much either. I'm telling you right now. Well, that's also because Game Pass and it's on fewer platforms. But still, even if it weren't, same story. So, yes, Vanguard is kind of playing out exactly, at least exactly how I, I expected. It's not going to be the most popular Call of Duty. It's not going to be the best-selling Call of Duty by any stretch of the imagination. It's still going to be a fucking mega Goliath, one of the biggest games of the year, without a doubt. And I just want to put that in perspective, because a lot of people are going to see that headline and go, yeah, see, people are just over Call of Duty. It's fucking tanky, man. The tides are turning. People are not buying this bullshit anymore. Well, and that sold Madden. Although, that's these are UK numbers, so of course Madden doesn't sell really in the UK anyway. But w watch. When we're getting MPD chart data... I'm telling you, Vanguard will be the number one best-selling game when all is said and done. Promise you. All right, that is going to do it for all of our news. We just got a wrap-up story right now, which is the uh, Game Pass update. So, games coming soon to Game Pass. By the time you're listening to this uh, episode, the following games will already be added to Game Pass, which are Next Space Rebels, uh, available day one with Game Pass, XO1, available day one with Game Pass, Fade Tactics, my Friend Pedro, Undungeon, available day one through Game Pass. And then on November 23rd, we're getting Deer Simulator, available day one on Game Pass, as well as Mortal Shell. And then on November 30th, we're getting Evil Genius 2. Now, leaving Game Pass in the coming days, on November 30th, we're leave, losing a handful, including Call of the Sea, which is relatively new, so I'm surprised. FIFA 19 via EA's Play. Uh, Football Manager 2021, as well as the Xbox Edition. Uh, Haven, Hello Neighbor, Morkrid, VA11, Hall A, Cyberpunk, Bartender Action, and then leaving December 8th, the day Halo comes out, we're losing Destiny 2, Beyond Light, Shadowkeep, and Forsaken DLC packs, so I probably need to buy Beyond Light now. But that is going to do it, guys, for all of our gaming news. I know, we're two and a half hours in. I told you it's a fucking chonker of an episode. But let's, real quick before we end, get into the important enough news. These are stories important enough to make the podcast, but not enough to warrant their own discussion. Of course, we got to go through these real quick. Halo Infinite, real quick. 343 Industries have announced that Infinite's Season 1 Battle Pass is expected to run until May 2nd, 2022. 
But real quick, what that means is that co-op and Forge are not coming anytime soon because remember, they said co-op campaign and Forge are coming around season two. So if season two is not until May 2nd, oof, it's a little bit of a wait. Next, the first teaser trailer for Halo TV series has been shown during the Xbox 20th anniversary celebration stream. A 30-second teaser was shown. Uh, it shows an unclothed Master Chief putting on his iconic Majolner Mark IV armor, while also a voice actor, presumably Cortana, says, Hello, Master Chief. Pretty cool. A little tease. Next, a new six-part documentary series about the history of Xbox is coming next month. Power On, the story of Xbox, will be releasing on December 13th on a number of free streaming platforms, including Roku, IMDb, IMDb TV, YouTube, and Redbox. This series will cover the entire 20-year history of the console, and it appears it won't shy to discuss the low points, too, including the Red Ring of Death. Power On, it should have been called Power Your Dreams. Just saying, missed opportunity. Next, Halo-themed ship set uh, that was pre previously available as a limited-time promo in, uh, in CFDs has returned for a longer period. The Spartan set will be available to those who play the game for a limited time, originally available in June of 2019. Next, the most senior creative behind Ubisoft's Far Cry franchise has left the company, VGC can reveal. Dan Hay served as Far Cry's executive producer for a period of more than 10 years at Ubisoft Montreal, where he was credited with overseeing a series during its most prosperous period. Hay joined Ubisoft to produce Far Cry 3, which remains the highest rated game in the series to date, and has kept his role for virtually every installment since, including Blood Dragon 4, Primal 5, and New Dawn. The company veteran was almost mo was most hands-on with Far Cry 5, on which he acted as creative director. Next, speaking of people coming and going at EA or at Ubisoft, Darby McDevitt, the Assassin's Creed series' most prominent writer who left Ubisoft earlier in the year, has rejoined the company VGC has revealed. During more sorry, during during more than a decade at Ubisoft Montreal, <laughs> McDevitt created stories and dialogue from Assassin's Creed, Assassin's Creed games, Revelations, Black Flag, Unity, Origins, Valhalla. David left in March, stating that he wanted to make a new adventure. However, after seven months of working at nearby Montreal developer Illogica, Ubisoft confirmed to VGC that he's now returned to work at Assassin's Creed. He said in a statement, yes, I've returned to Ubisoft. As I pondered my career over the past year, I focused on the desire to explore new ideas in unknown frontiers. It'll be funny to see if the Far Cry guy comes back in seven months as well. All right, and then next, Xbox Wire reports that to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the Walt Disney World Resort in Orlando, Florida, yes, my home, the Magic Kingdom is coming to Minecraft. Just like the beloved park in Orlando, Florida, the map is enormous, filled with filled to the brim with familiar Disney Pixar faces, iconic attractions, and magical scenery. Take a ride on fa favorite crap classic attractions like Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, Space Mountain, It's a Small World, etc. The map has been built as faithfully as possible to the real world Magic Kingdom. Keep your eyes on the open. Keep your eyes wide and open for all the little details in the Haunted Mansion. There's also 29 iconic Disney and Pixar characters to meet. Updates are the update is available now for six or seven bucks to download. I played it last night. I downloaded it. It's fucking awesome. It's a very good recreation of Magic Kingdom in Minecraft. It's really, really cool. So check it out. And then our penultimate last little tidbit story is that Take Two has acquired British developer Roll Seven, the creators of the Ollie Ollie games. Based in London, the BAFTA award-winning team is currently developing Ollie Ollie World, which is public will be published by Private Division. 
and planned for launch this winter. Private Division, of course, being a smaller publishing arm of Take-Two. It's also been announced that uh, the project is in... Sorry. It also has an unannounced project in development, it has been said. And lastly, Six Days in Fallujah has been delayed to 2022 as the team has at Victura has doubled in size in an attempt to get the game polished, ready to go, and out the door. So, guys, whew, oh my god, I'm so tired of talking. That's going to do it for all the news this week. You made it. Achievement unlocked, you epic gamer. Don't forget to pick up your win on the way out. We're not going to go over the new Xbox game releases this week because, god damn, there's just too much going on. Games of Gold, you know what you got. You got some games on Games of Gold. I'm not going to remind you. Just go download them. But, guys, I do want to remember, remind you, there's still so much we haven't talked about. The fiasco with the GTA uh, ports and all that shit. There's just there's just so much going on here. But guys, what you need to do is sit down, play play some Halo Infinite. Okay, podcasts are cool and all. Xbox News is cool and all. But what what are we if not a bunch of you know a bunch of wandering souls aimlessly trying to find a purpose in this world without Halo Infinite? So do yourselves a favor. Don't play on PC because that's for nerds. But sit on your couch, grab your controller. Look at the TV, play some Halo, and while you're at it, maybe crack open an ice cold dew, grab yourself a grilled cheese burrito from Taco Bell, and while you're at that, don't forget to power your dreams. Thank you so much, guys. God damn it. We'll see you next week for another exciting episode 129 of the Xbox On Podcast. Happy birthday, Xbox.